The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. Have a cool conversation that nobody's going to feel fucking weird. We're all misfits. Yeah, we're all fucked up. I yeah. can say fucked up shit. You'll yeah. say fucked up shit. We'll joke about it. Yeah. You know, it's like where if I, like, I go on fucking like do a billboard interview. You know what I mean? I got to be like super like, you know, yeah, this was a G to a D chord. And I thought really hard about that song, you know, where I can be like, yo, he's in there fucking off and got drunk and wrote it, you know? But there's something interesting about that, too. Like, if you're talking to like a legit mu- mu- uh, musician, I would imagine as a musician, it's fascinating just to have those kind of conversations, too. Mm. But like for me, like if I have a choice, I want to talk to comics. It's like My favorite yeah. pods of yours are when you're with the homies. Mine, too. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's when I... I get real insight, and I feel like I'm watching y'all's green room. Like when I watch you and a couple comedians, you really are do a pod. I'm like, yo, I bet this is what's happening in the fucking green room. Oh, 100. percent Well, you can go to the green room tonight. I'll show yeah. you. Yeah, I'll it's do. it's essentially the same thing. It's ex- exactly the same. Yo, went to Mitzi's finally. It's beautiful, right? God, dude, and what a ode to her, man. How fucking gangster, just cool. You know what I mean? And the bar, it was like. I was. I told Tony this last night, drunk ten times. It was this thing that was like, I wish musicians would. I took a, a page from y'all, so I bought two hundred yonder bags, mm. right? And now on tour, my deal is: if you come back before the show, we'll take pictures. We'll do whatever you want to do. If you come hang out after the show, we're locking everybody's phone up. Nice. Yep. Because nice. I just want to fucking be present. I want to yeah. be able to fucking smoke a joint. You know right. what I mean? I just want to be able to be us. And that's all I seen in there last night was just a bunch of dudes being dudes. Yeah. But about what they do, you know? Well, you know, the thing is about everybody that hangs out in Mitzi's, they don't even, their phones are in their hands and they don't use them. They we're so used to just putting them down. The yeah. hang is so fun. Yep. And it's it, there's a, a, a sort of a philosophy through the whole room that gets... It, it gets uh, enhanced by the fact that the audience has their phones in a bag. Like, you don't see phones everywhere. You don't see people just constantly on their phones, so people can just hang. Right. And then you're also talking to interesting people, which is more interesting than the shit you're looking at on TikTok. Yep. And it's fun. And we're all present. Yeah, we're cool. all present. No, it was awesome. It's just weird that we have, like, one of the things that I've realized about podcasts is I've spent so many times, so many hours, talking to people, just having a conversation. And the only way is because I never look at my phone because it's locked up. Like, it's, it's, it's off. It's off to the side. You're right there. We're, we're, we're sitting here with headphones on, so right. we're hearing each other's voices. Yeah. It's like you got to almost, like, put yourself in that sort of an environment to have conversations like this, to, yeah. to really be able to hang out and, and really be present. Exactly. And I love this, too, because your podcast has done wonders for especially artists because we don't have platforms to really do this. Yeah. To really come sit down. Like the first time I got to hear Stapleton talk for more than three minutes was on your podcast. Right. I'd only heard radio sound bites from Stapleton ever. Right. You know right. what I mean? So it was cool to like actually dig into who Stapleton was. You know what yes. I mean? So that like shit like that is like everybody you've had on this podcast, music wise, as a musician, we only get these little sound bite excerpts that a fucking publicist mm-hmm. kind of rehearsed them and said, This is what we're looking for in this interview, you know? Yeah, no, I I, I Totally Yo, is this the Joey God. Diaz? Yeah, it's the Are we Joey smoking Diaz. the that's, cocoa? That's the cocoa. That's God. laughing gas. I love you, Uncle Joey. God damn. Yeah, you got to meet Uncle Joey. You and yeah. Uncle Joey together would be like two black holes colliding. Oh, dude. He brought me on his problem. podcast um, <laughs> earlier this year, and it was the fucking best. Oh, that's he, awesome. Listen, he called me one day out of the blue, Joe, just to hype me up. 
Really? Just to be like, yo, fucking Jelly, I just called to tell you I was just listening to your shit. And you're the fucking, <laughs> God damn it, you fucking Jelly Manilo. You just fucking squeeze them ass cheeks together, baby, and you keep fucking singing. And God damn it, you're taking over. You'll be in arenas in six months, Jelly. Yo, six months, Jelly. Jesus Christ. And I was just like, dude, I'm sitting in a parking lot. Like, I can't believe Uncle Joey's on the phone right now. And I'm just gassed, dude. I, fuck, <laughs> I called the label afterwards like, God damn it, we're fucking. I mean, I was fucking. I should have recorded it. He's the ultimate hype week. man. Yeah. The ultimate hype man. Yeah, he don't want nothing but to lift you up. He wants to lift everybody. No, oh, fucking. That's why we ha- in the green room we have this quote in neon that says, get it together, bitch. Mm. That's what Joey would tell everybody. Right before you go on stage. Get it together, bitch. Let's go. Right. Fuck these motherfuckers up. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go, Joe Rogan. He'd get fired up, and you'd get fired up, too. And It was cool. Last night in the green room. So I went to Kill Tony. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, what a fuck! I've seen it on YouTube a thousand times, but in person, unfucking real. It's such a great it's, show. It, it's hard. It's like you know it's really not scripted. Yeah. But it feels like it because it gets so fucking out of hand at times. You're like, there's no way this wasn't rehearsed. I'm telling but you, you're it watching every it unfold week. every week. It happens Dude. like that. Tony's the master. He is so sharp. He's so sharp. He's so good at being a host of one of those shows. I mean, that's a hard gig. Oh, and the best part was they had a couple dudes come up and just eat absolute shit. And that was the funniest part. Oh, dude, because the banter that came from that was like <laughs> fucking insane. And then him and David Lucas. I watched the show damn near just for that since it came to Austin. When him and David Lucas go after each other, I laugh harder than at any other time in life. No, they're so quick. <laughs> no, it's so like quick. two. You think they grew up together? Yeah, well, they basically did yeah. doing comedy together. But they're so mean to each other, and they both laugh. Yes. Like, like when David gets Tony, Tony laughs. When Tony gets David, David yes. laughs. Like, no, it's so genuine. And then man. afterwards, they'll they'll do a play by play in the fucking green room I and heard talk it. about I it. Like, when you it. said this to yeah. me, like, ah, oh, it was the best. Yeah, yeah. And I thought you were gonna say this, but ah, oh, that was the good. It was everything. <laughs> we did that last night. I went in last night and told Tony what I thought his best part. I was, I was just drunk enough to act like a coach. I was like, this was the five <laughs> best parts. This was my like drunk enough to give Tony a review of his fucking. Show what a douchebag he likes it. He likes <laughs> it, bro. He loves you and he's very happy that you were there. He, I was on the phone with him on the way over here. Oh, dope. And he was telling me how cool you are. I was joking with him. I was like three drinks away from being like, Tony, the biggest podcast of my life is in like 13 hours, dog. And yeah. You're just sitting in here. He's like, he's just, he's give you something to talk about. I was like, motherfucker, I'm three shots away from making you come too. Yeah. I, was like, <laughs> I was like, fucking shit. He I thought I, come. Yeah, I thought I was going to walk in and sneak in and like sneak out and just see the show. And then Dave was like, come to the green room. Let's have a shot. And that's where it all went south. It all goes south with those guys. It mm. goes south all the time. I have to have nights where I'm only drinking water. I have to like, otherwise, you know. You're gonna prematurely die. <laughs> yeah, no, dude, it was it's wild. Listen, and uh, Carrie is that her name? Yeah. Oh my, Carrie and Diamond. Mm-hmm. Dog, you talking about heavy hands? I'm talking. Yeah, about they the, they the give you a, a healthy of, poor. I call that the poor of the Lord. Mm. It was a. I'm talking every time she. I was like, God damn, Carrie, sweet, please, man, I got shit to do. She's a veteran. No, she is OG. She knows how to dose you up properly. No, no for sure, and they know how to hydrate you. It always came with the water. Right. I was like, look at this. And it was so nostalgic. People are just in there smoking cigarettes like an old speakeasy. You know what the move is? After you do a night like that, get yourself a vitamin IV drip. I did. I got two this there morning. That's why I'm over go. here sweating now. There you sweating go. Sweating like a Hebrew. That's just the pouring move. out of me. Yeah. But God, That's it was so move. much fun, dude. Yeah, it's a great place. It's a lot of fun. It's beautiful. It really is. It's like we were talking. That's what we were talking about on the phone today. Tony and I talk about it like three times a week. I can't even believe it's real. Oh, dude. Y'all, the culture. It's a culture. Yeah. It's a real scene. I, I promise you. 
Tony said this, and I didn't realize until he said it afterwards when we were leaving. He was like, nobody was in that room talking about bitches. Nobody was in that room talking about money. They were in there talking about comedy. Yeah. They were all in there just like kind of ragging on the show and reliving mm. it. Just It was just cool, man. Yeah, it is cool. The <laughs> only other time I ever seen that that was cool was Josh Wolf used to do this weekly thing at Zany's in Nashville. Mm. And I would swing by all the time. That's a great club. Dude, first of all, I love Dorfman to death. He's a great guy. Dude, he's Both the, him and his brother. The Dorfmans are awesome. Yeah, they're great. You know? Shout out to the Dorfmans. Yeah, shout out to the Dorfmans, baby. Yeah, I worked for those guys for like fucking 25 years or something God, crazy. dude, they're fucking salt of the earth. That club is so good. It's, it's such so a good. fun club. It's perfect. It's like a perfect size perfect club. Perfect club, dude. It really is. It's, it's, Can't get better. The way the, the side door to the little green room, yeah, straight everything. up the steps. It's just, it was it's And awesome. all those headshots? Those mm, the old, headshot, old, old headshots? Old, 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 old ones that are all signed to Zany's. <laughs> Richard Jenny? Yes. I saw the Richard Jenny one. I'm like, God damn, look at that one. It's like fucking 85 or some shit. Yeah. But I wouldn't watch Josh up there, right? Josh Wolf would, uh, that weed is fucking fire, That's Joey. That's real God shit, God Joey. And Joey's I brought some weed, games. and that's some weed. Joey's not playing games. Yeah, I'm like, Jesus Christ. If Joey Diaz is going to put his name on it, it's going to put you in orbit. <laughs> he kept telling me, he's like, Joe, I got to get you some of this. Get you. I was just like, yo, I'm in, man. Uh, Joey showed up with duffel bags. Like, Jesus Christ. He did, right? I'm not exaggerating. They were duffel bags. Yeah. <laughs> it's an animal. I got to go see him. We He's, missed each other in Jersey last time, but I'll be up there again this he year. He was here. It was the the most glorious 24 hours. God, that's Just awesome. being around him again, it's just, he's the best. I've never laughed. There's not, not a single human being has ever done stand-up that made me laugh harder than that guy. Well, he, uh, y'all, y'all, y'all roped him into moving down here yet? Has he caught not the bug? Not yet. He loves New Jersey. He's the king of New Jersey. Right. We went to New Jersey and we went to these uh, this beautiful Italian restaurant in his neighborhood. And everyone's all the people that work there yelling his name out, and the, the all the the bar staff. People are talking Spanish to him. I'm like, he's never moving. He's the king of New Jersey. It's like if that guy moves into your neighborhood, you know how happy you'd be. Mm. Jesus Christ, God. So he's he's basically you know, and his daughter loves it there, and he's got a great community. Yeah. But uh, we want to just fly him out here anytime he wants. I'm like, Joey, just tell me. Tell me on Wednesday you want to come here on Thursday. We'll set that shit up. We'll do whatever the fuck you want. You can call me. You get picked up at the airport. We'll take care of you. Yeah. Like, anytime you get a fucking wild hair across your ass, I'll just have someone pick you there. up at your house in a truck, <laughs> drive you to the airport. I will take care of you every step of the way. Just want to make it easy. Just make a, You make a phone call, I'll take care of the rest. I keep saying, man, I need to quit hitting this weed, dude. I'm no, going to start getting goofy in here. Then we bust out again. the fungus. <laughs> let's go! <laughs> yeah, let's go. Where's that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Uh-oh. Oh, danger. What do you got? Is it tequila? What is oh, that? Oh, no, okay. Oh, is it a chocolate bar? I don't fuck with chocolate bars because I don't know the dude who made them. I'm worried about that too. Just give me I, straight. Like I've no. done the edibles before, and they are inconsistent. You know the edibles that we used to get in California in the early days when it was mm -hmm. medical. Oh yeah, they'd be some hippie making it in his bathtub. Oh you, for sure. You have no idea how strong these things are. It's just a guess. No, fifty the, milligrams. Listen, five hundred milligrams. Oh dude, that's the same problem we had with dabs initially when I first started oh. dabbing. We didn't understand the propane game or you know the the butane or any of that shit. And I think about. When I first started dabbing, I didn't realize you had to let the nail cool down. So I was just, the redder it was, I was like, it's ready. 
I was scorching myself. I was just throwing dabs on a fucking scorching red. And I thought that I was coughing because it was so good. I was fucking killing myself, Joe. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is the You're shit. smoking a forest yeah, fire. Fucking, it was horrible for me, dude. <laughs> you smoking fucking pine cones and shit. We, I didn't fucking know. Oh we were all God. the way in Tennessee. Nobody hipped us in that shit. But the dab thing is too much. The in, And the pill thing is too much. These fucking kids on the THC pills. Yeah. There was a dude that I used to be friends with that uh, was a jiu-jitsu guy he was fucking too smart for his own good and he figured out how to uh convert thc into a, a pill form Ugh. i don't know how he was what he was doing off the weed whether it's keef or whatever it was and he gave me some and i'm like how many should i take and you know i forget what the number was but i took whatever he said and i was so high that people became two-dimensional like you became a like a billboard mm. and I could see their soul like hiding behind the back I, I could see their persona as like a shield that they put that they carried around to the world oh, shit. It freaked me out. I was so hot Dude, and you have no clue how many milligrams. I have was, no right? idea. The, he doesn't the, know either. the bathroom special It was probably yeah. a thousand plus it was very high I heard and you would know this to the real number, but I heard anything over 500 is where it starts getting it gets you very can hallucinate a hundred percent. Well, here's the thing because I took like six, seven hundred, and I felt like I was, might as well have been on shrooms. Marijuana in a isolation tank is as heavy as any drug that's out there, short of DMT. Marijuana in an isolation tank, edible marijuana in an isolation tank. Once you get into that five hundred milligram realm, where you're just like might go schizophrenic. You get in that water and it and you just float and you're in total darkness and you just see things. Yeah. I, you see the fabric of the universe. Oh. You see intertwined galaxies that look like <laughs> like a ball of yarn Don't all spinning together. Oh, Dude, it makes you, you, get, do it. you get there's something and I, I was watching one time I was in a uh, a plane. I, I used to love to do edibles and get on airplanes. My favorite thing, because if I'm going to get on an airplane, my thought was always like, let's get obliterated. And I would, me and Joey would, would take like stars of death and then get on airplanes. It was so scary. That's a different kind of degaff, though, Joe. Yeah, but See, that, I'm with that wild shit, but I'm not taking no edibles before I get on a plane. That's the way to go because you're not going anywhere. <laughs> you're not going anywhere. You got to deal with it. You got to like sit in that seat. I like getting drunk on planes. I like getting drunk on planes. That's because you never realize, you know, you're getting bubbly, but when you land, you're like, oh, no, I done got fucked up up here. Yeah, with comics, when we get drunk on planes, Planes, just uh, sitting next to each other, just drinking and talking shit. <laughs> it's so fun. It's basically like being at Mitzi's bar, but we're in the sky. You know, we've done a bunch of podcasts like that. We did podcasts on a plane. Really? Yeah, yeah. We take an edible before the podcast, and then get on the plane, <laughs> and then uh, we'd be on the plane and just bust out an iPhone. And just iPhones really good, man. Or yeah. any Android phone. If you get recording. The fucking microphones are pretty good, good enough, and then it's kind of fun that people know you're actually doing this on a plane. Right. Like the you know the stewardess would come over and talk to us, and we say, "Hey, we're doing a podcast." <laughs> this is back before the podcast was big. Nobody, you know, it wouldn't, it wasn't that entertaining to people. Yeah. Nobody was like staring at us, so we really got away with it. <laughs> we really just hung out. No one gave a shit. They thought we were just having a conversation. Because it seems like because right. you are. It is just a, yeah. It's, it it I've I've always watched them because. So I was telling Tony last night, I don't listen to music that came out like after 1980. Really? Very much. I'll listen to know what's happening, but not enough to be influenced. Really? You know, does that make sense? But like, what is your main go-to shit? Like if you're in your car, 
Um, I'm a, so I'm a mood guy. It's kind of how I write music too. It's like I'm a big James Taylor guy, mm. Jim Croce. That singer songwriter oh, yeah, movement of the '70s, yeah. and like late '60s, early '70s. That's my shit. Yeah, like Seeger's probably my favorite rock artist oh, of all time. Man. You know, so uh, Jim Croce though, man. I mean, his story, just everything he did in such a limited amount of time. Mm-hmm. His his one. He still has one of my favorite quotes. If you dig it, do it. If you really dig it, do it twice. Mm. He just had like these. He just had this too cool for school. Didn't give a fuck kind of thing. You know, you, you you're familiar with Croce, I'm sure. Don't mess around with Jim. Oh my God! You don't yeah, tug you're a pool on player. Superman's cape. Fuck yeah, you know you that, don't right? Yeah, into the, the wind. wind. You, don't you don't pull, pull the mask off the old Lone Ranger, Ranger man. You don't mess around with Jim. Bro, that song is the shit. I need to hear some of that right now. Let me hear some of that. Yeah, pull up some Jim Croce. Pull up that song. Yes, sir. That is a great fucking song, dude. He had. You know. You know what I loved about his writing style, Joe. Woo! Watch. Come on, baby. Who's writing about shit like this still? Up, down, got his Just what a start. Barry's got his bounce. <laughs> Big Jam a Walker, he a pool shooting son of a gun. <laughs> and just look at him, dude. You're talking about a dude who just looked like he didn't give a fuck. <laughs> he looks like he's as high as me and you right now. Oh my God, look at him. <laughs> Come on, what a song. You don't tug on Superman's cape. You don't spit into the wind. You don't pull the mask off the whole long ranger. And you don't mess around with Jim. God damn, that's a jam. Oh, because that reminded me of like, um, he wrote a song. This is what I've loved about him. He wrote a song about the roller derby queen. Did you oh, ever hear wow. this? No, no, Pull up no. Roller Derby Queen right quick. Oh, wow. This is going to blow your fucking mind, Joe. I'm sure. He wrote songs about the weirdest situations, like getting beat up and his guitar stolen from him in box number 10, or wow. about a pool shark or a bad drug dealer named Leroy Brown. Like He wrote these just crazy fucking, like, where do you even come up with this shit? But he had this one. It's a, it's a I fell in love. Yeah, watch it. Now, watch how he describes this bitch. <laughs> well, I was just getting ready to get my hat Where she caught my eye And I put it back And I ordered myself A couple of more shots and beers Tonight did I fit in love With a roller derby queen Around and round All round and round Venus uncle woman That anybody ever seen <laughs> <laughs> She's five six two fifteen. <laughs> Could you imagine five foot six two fifteen? He said she was built like a refrigerator. That's the shit he was writing songs about in the seventies, dude. How fucking dope? How much dope are you smoking to be like? Yo, nobody's ever wrote a song about the bitch that does roller derby. You know what I'm well, a whole lot of Rosie. <laughs> yeah, right. Whole lot of Rosie's about mm. a big girl too. Yeah. Come on, put, give me some of that. Give me yeah. some whole lot of Rosie. <laughs> that is the fucking jam. Yeah. That's that is, crazy that, is that a, you know these records. Most people oh I bring up God. Jim Croce. We named my dog, one of our dogs after Jim Croce. His name's Croce. My wife calls him Chachi. But uh, 
That's how much of a crochy dude I've been. But man. I've been I was such a pool fanatic that any song would pool in it. Yeah, I don't know me. why. I, that's why you see you see yeah. me light up when I was like, yeah, yeah you fucking pool, pool player. player. He Fuck. was a pool shooting son of a gun. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but also like that song was like, man, I remember that song from my childhood. That was a great fucking song. There's just some certain songs that just like there's just the way the person put it together and the way it just it reminds you of a time. You know, like you think about that song, like that song brings me to that time when he was writing it. You yeah. know, this is it. a whole yeah. lot of Rosie. This is the best big girl song of all time. <laughs> Come on, man. Because this motherfucker could sing. Who the fuck has a voice like that? It's all in his tone. I mean, he's talking. He's just talking. Yeah. This is like rap. Oh, yeah. Ain't exactly small. Four, two, third, nine, fifty-six. You can say she got it mm. Come on, baby. That's how we should have started this fucking podcast, Joe. Yeah, baby. Curing my hangover. Never had a woman. Never had a woman like you. Sloppy it was back then. Oh, fuck yeah. Ugh. Raw. Just, raw. Music just had like a slop to it. Just the way he talked, yeah. you know? Oh, yeah. That's all tone, man. That's Don't what I love. Don't tell you a story. It's just the, exactly. It's right. Don't about a tell, woman, about I, a woman know. I know. You know, just right there. <laughs> when in the, it comes to loving. That's probably how loud he really sang. Yeah, You man. know? What a motherfucker yeah, that guy dude. was. God damn, he was a motherfucker. That is a powerful. What is 19 stone? Is that 260 pounds? She was bigger. Yeah, she was bigger than the roller <laughs> derby queen. I want to see her and the roller derby queen have a celebrity death fight. 266. <laughs> she was 266, bro. He said Ooh. she was 4'9", though, didn't he? I don't know what the fuck he said. He was just yelling out numbers. He was yelling out <laughs> dimensions. <laughs> 425, <laughs> What are you saying? He's just in there shooting at anything. <laughs> Is that like 30? You know what? The, what was that like? There was a, a There was a thing back in the day. It was like 34, 22, 36 or something like that. It was like the perfect. Oh yeah, Nelly said it in a woman. song, but I don't ever remember. What is it. that? Yep. He says four two, third nine fifty six. <laughs> <laughs> She's just making up numbers. What is he saying? He was freestyling. He was freestyling. <laughs> he was feeling it. He was doing some fucking black keys shit. <laughs> yeah. He know? was working yeah. a bit out. Yeah. Just, yeah. He was just <laughs> jazzing it. Yeah. He was working a bit out of Kill Tony. <laughs> I'll figure it out. Dude, I, I love a good song story. You know, oh. and uh, Jamie turned me on to Coulter Wall. Mm. Jamie said, you got to hear this song. He goes, this is, this is like you. You got to hear this song. This is like your kind of song. Yeah. Kate McCannon. He played mm. Kate McCannon. That fucking guy is so oddly talented. The fact that he was 21 when he wrote that song, yeah. played that fucking song. Yeah. The fact that this cat is 21 years old. No, Coulter. And he's got this kind of... There's like a, a, like, how many lives did you live before right. this one? Because mm. this is not 21 years of yeah. Earth that gives, no, give me the real one. Oh, okay. 
Don't don't mean the because he he does it differently in the acoustic. I really like the uh, the version that's on the album. It's one of those the, the album version is better than the acoustic. Yeah, well, it's I, the acoustic's great, but the album one is is yeah. perfect. It's got a darker tone. Like I would love to hear it acoustically, but yeah. this is the shit. Twenty one years old. Raven is a wicked bird. His wings are black as sin. And he floats outside my prison window, mocking those within. And he sings to me real low, it's hell to where you go. Didn't murder Kate McCannon. Come on, man. It's Johnny Cash vibes. Yeah, for right? sure. It's like Johnny Cash Western. It's like he absorbed it all. He, I mean, I want to know, like, what he doesn't do podcasts, but I would love to sit down with that dude and go, where, where'd you get all that? Like, yeah. where, where's all that coming from? Are you just, is this life? Is this, are you a, just a fucking freak for that old shit where right. you just absorbed it all? Right. Did you listen to every Waylon Jennings record that's ever been made? Right. Did you, did, you know, did you listen to Merle Haggard from mm. the time you were two? Yeah. Where the fuck are you getting oh, this? Yeah. And the crazy thing is it's so, it's so nostalgic of that, but with this obvious like Western Texas yes. twist to it. Like I yes. love that like distinct Texas sound of that like old like Western music, you know? Yeah. I think that's what makes Zach Bryan so polarizing. His music's so incredible, but it's so raw. Mm. It's so Western. It's so fucking just, you know, it's like just so, uh. It just I didn't sits even know right in front of you. Yeah. Is he polarizing? Like in what way? Well, I think he's polarizing in the fact of like, he just did his first award show and he was the second biggest streamed artist in country music the last two years. He's kind of like culture, like a dude, you know what I mean? Like this mm. dude's literally doing whatever the fuck he wants. He was selling out amphitheaters, Joe, pulling up in a 12 passenger van with his homies and putting up a, a, a backdrop and just playing. He didn't bring a light. You know what I'm saying? He just showed up like he didn't know. He's just he was, like him and his boys were just out fucking making music. He tried to. I don't remember what. Um, I think I don't know if he's a Marine or whatever branch of the military he was in. Mm -hmm. He was doing had like 700 million streams, Joe, and was still in the military. Like they had to come sit him down and go, hey, man, this is a conflict. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're fucking like you're like one of the biggest artists on earth. You've got to fucking you got to go. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It was like he's fucking, you know, I've never talked to the guy, but he's I'm fucking a genuine. huge fan of his. He's super genuine. Yeah. He's a really nice guy. I talked to him on the phone, and then I went to see him. Uh, oh, no, played, I seen you on stage with yeah, him. Yeah, he Fuck. played up there. He tried to get me to sing. Yeah, no, you, I, not my, my favorite clip is he walked over and said, you want to sing? And you were like, Fuck, no. <laughs> <laughs> I love that song, too. The, his, his, his concert was amazing. No, it's incredible. He's so genuine. There's, like, there's something about people that are genuine that it just comes out in their music, and you can't fake that. Yeah. And you have that. Yeah, thank you. You have that. Thank you, brother. I say it's real music for real people with real problems. The first song I ever heard of yours was Need a Favor. Mm. And I was like, holy shit. Oh, God, thank you. Holy shit, dude. That's a fucking song, man. Yeah. That's a song. It I was, was like, it was funny, man. When we were when we were working on the record, so I, the album I'm fixing to drop is called Wits at Chapel. And uh, I think it comes out June 2nd. Shameless plug on the biggest podcast on earth. But um, the record Need a Favor, I was like, so can I tell you this story? It's a, yeah, it's a bit of a please. story. 
But it's fun to tell. So I had wrote like 100 songs last year. And I didn't feel great about any of them, to be honest. Um, the label liked a few and was trying to pick radio singles, but I just didn't have no conviction about it, Joe. Mm. And my daughter, at the same time, had found her way into this little back road church in the middle of nowhere about a country where we live. She kept asking me to come, and, you know, I have a tumulus relationship with the Lord, so I wasn't, you know, sure how I'd show up, but I was like, you know what, I'll go. And I went, dude, there's 100 people, a little back road church, you know, 20 of them were kids that went to high school with her. And around the same time, I caught this little motherfucker smoking pot, right? She's 15. She's doing 15-year-old kid stuff. And I was like, Betty, you won't believe it. About, about your age, I started making these same decisions, and I was going to this little bitty church in Antioch. I tell her the story of this church. She don't believe it. So I take her to this old church. It's still there. It's called Witsit Chapel Baptist Church. And that night, riding home with her, I didn't tell nobody, but in my mind, I thought, that's the album I'm writing. Like, fuck every song I wrote. I'm writing this album. I called Zach Crowell. He produced every Sam Hunt song ever. You know, one of the biggest producers in town I've known in my whole life. He's here with me right now. And uh, I said, dude, I want to write an album called Going to Church. And I just kind of want to write this kind of journey and just kind of A to Z it and write a real project. And Zach was like, I'm in. He's like, well, why don't you just call it Wits at Chapel? So that's how we ended up doing Wits at Chapel. So when Need a Favor came into the fold, I was like, what's worship music for sinners sound like? Like, what does a motherfucker like me? You know, because, you know, when you're in church, it's holy, holy, you are great. I was like, I don't, I don't necessarily feel that way. So how do I feel? You know what I mean? And then it was like, only talk to God when I need a favor. You know, and I was mm. like, we got to build it with a choir and big production. I want that old uh, stomp yeah. clap, mm, you know, that old yeah. church feel. And I want to bring, like, that vibe of that church, you know, into the, into the, and the whole thing is the whole album is built on that vibe of, like, there's fire and brimstone. There's everything you go through in a Sunday morning worship service. If you've ever been to a Sunday in the South worship service, they're gonna, you're going to convince you you're a horrible human at some point. You're going to hell. And then at the end, they'll hit a major key instead of a minor one finally and go, but there's hope. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I was, like, how do I, <laughs> I was like, how do I write that, you know? Man, I, well, I've always been a fan of those preachers. I, I love the way they, they captivate an audience, yep. even if they're crazy, even if they're talking nonsense. No, there's, for sure. there's something exciting about watching some dude preach the word and just yell it and out. Just and on have, fire. On fire. So I gotta, I gotta, I'm going to send you a link to the album, but I got a preacher throughout the whole album doing that, Joe, Ooh. that tied the record together. Oh, so wow. you ran like the album starts with this dude like and by the grace of God we were saved and it just drops the first song. Whoa. It's cool, man. That's amazing. I, I got nerdy, dude. I went like I old it. school, dude. I went like back to the nineties. I was in the studio like we were just getting high and coming up with shit. Beautiful. Yeah, it was so much fun. It's probably the most fun I've ever had writing an album because it's the first time I've sat down in a long time and wrote an album instead of just writing a bunch of songs and then picking an album. Mm. You know what I mean? I was like, no, I'm writing. Like we're gonna sit down and write an album. So that just came out of the blue, inspirationally? Yeah, just I just wasn't... Just felt like something to man, do. Man, I'm going to get like all the way real. I didn't understand what was... I had commercial success for the first time in my life, and I didn't know how to deal with that. So you do what everybody does in that moment. I'm sure you may or may not have been there in your career early where you like you chase it then. You're like, oh my God, hold on, I can be... Yeah. And I realized that the songs wasn't sounding like Jelly Roll no more. Oh. You know? And I was like, no, I'm doing the thing that people do where they fuck their career up. I was like, I'm not doing that, man. So, so you think that that's just a normal trap that happens to everybody that gets success and they don't want to fuck up that success? So they f try to make a formula for what they think the people liked about their early shit? Yes, yes. 
one hundred percent. Or they chase whatever the poppy record was or whatever the record that did the most. So it's like, how do I write another song like that? Mm. So I was coming off of a hit that I, I, the one I gave you to plaque for, Son of a Sinner, was my first radio hit, like hit hit. And I was like, I didn't know how to come out of it because I didn't write the song for radio. I wrote the song like I wrote every other song. But then you start thinking, oh, I can write songs for radio. Uh, and I had fucking 70 radio songs. Like, fuck, I'm not, a, you know, it's like, no, nah, man, I just need to, I need to do what got me to radio. I didn't do what Jelly Roll does. And I was like, I know what it is. I'm going to get back in my foxhole and write me a fucking album, dude. You know what I'm saying? That's beautiful. I took it off Music Row. We went back to some little old back-ass studio in the backwoods, and we wrote it kind of like, you know, like we wrote all my early shit. I feel like it's like every level of success that you get, you're presented with a unique problem that you haven't seen before. And it's up to you to just figure it out. Mm. Just figure it out. What, what are you doing this for? And I think that applies to everything. I, I know it applies to comedy. It definitely seems to apply to music. I think it probably applies to everything. Figure out what you're doing it for. Like, what, Why do you like to do I know you have to make a living, but once all that's taken care of, like, what are you doing it for? You should be doing it for the love of this thing. Whatever this thing is that you do, you, you are a love-spreading machine as a human being. Right. Whether it's your love of carpentry, whether it's your love of electronics, what, what is it? What's your thing, man? Right. Everybody's got a thing, yeah. but not everybody finds their fucking thing. Yeah. That's the problem with this world. Mm. So people get trapped in something that's not their thing, and that's, that's what they are now. And they, they don't ever get to express themselves in a way that would make them feel good. Well, for me, I always call it the why. And it's like what you said, even with the music. And that's what happened with those 70 songs. When the why comes down to, oh, this is catchy, or this is a good song, I'm past the point of like, if this, I want to help people, Joe. Like, my music has always been therapeutic. My music has always been for people. What got me into music was my mother. So my mother was a woman who struggled with extreme mental health issues and drug addiction. And she would never come out of her room, Joe. And she would, she would come downstairs and she'd throw a record on and she'd light a cigarette at the table. And dude, I would watch the house change. Like brothers, sisters, cousins coming from across the street. We need a little tight neighborhood, poor people, you know? Neighbors coming over, her friends start flooding the house and she held court. Joe, I would watch our kitchen turn into a nightclub and she'd start telling stories. And listen, we didn't have Google. We had to believe the bitch back then. <laughs> right? You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So she would be like, James Taylor wrote this about his drug-addicted mother. You know what I'm saying? Or something. And play Fire and Rain. Right. Or she'd be like, Bette Midler wrote the rose about, and we're just like all captivated. And then she'd play the rose, and we're all crying in the kitchen together. And it's like, and I didn't understand, because I'm a kid, right? But something changed in her when the record went on, is how I looked at it. I didn't know anything about drug addiction, anything about schizophrenia or uh, bipolar or any of this stuff she was dealing with, or manic depression back then, what they called it. I didn't know any of this. I just knew that this lady never fucking leaves that room, and when she does, it seems like the music does it. So I spent my whole life writing songs for her, right? I was like, I kind of in indirectly was like, writing these songs for the addicted and the broken. You know what I mean? Because yeah. that's what I was seeing. Yeah. So it's like I found purpose in the music. And like I tell people, if I was going to do it for money, like any sane fucking comedian or 
musician, I'd have quit 10 years ago. Because, fuck, I, wouldn't, I didn't make any for 15 years. You know, if I was doing it for money, I'd have quit forever ago and went and got a job. I just knew that it was always helping people. You know what I mean? It's mm. like the music was all because I seen how it helped my mother. And I knew the power of music. And to this day, like when you first bring up music, I'm like, I'm a mood guy. It's like, you know, you know how I feel about what I got to go listen to. Like, yeah. to this day, if I'm going through something in life, I'll grab a joint, go hop in a pickup truck and tell my wife I'll be back. And she knows what I'm doing. I'm just going to go listen to music for an hour and smoke a joint. And I'm going to come mm. back and sort through this shit. But it was something about that that made me want to write songs for purpose. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like real music to just try to get. I, I understood the power of it. You know, funerals, like how many, my, I, I probably lost my first friend when I was like 11. I remember every song they played at the funeral that day. You know, does that make sense? Like this, make these sense. are the moments in my yeah. life that stuck out to me, was like the impact of music. And then I went on to write Save Me, which I've been told by multiple funeral homes is their most requested song of the last decade. Wow. You know what I mean? Which is really sad. It hurts me. But it makes me feel so good that that's there to help somebody in that moment. Yeah. So for me, if I'm listening to a record, Joe, back to your why. It's how to start it, right? It's like if I'm listening to a song or I wrote a song and the why is like, it's just cool, fuck that song, man. Like, who does this exist for? You know what I mean? Like, what am I doing? Now, sometimes the answer is just as simple as like, yo, we just need a party record. That's cool, too. But just make sure you have a why. And if the why is money, you got the wrong why. And this song will never fucking work anyways. You know what I mean? And that's how it's always worked for me, which is like I was telling you out there, I want to tell you the story about how my music changed. I was doing DMT. We were up in Iowa. And I had done, no, we were in uh, Nebraska. We were at a KOA truck stop. I'm in a camper. We're driving one of them big campers, right? We just toured with ICP. I've been on like, oh, boy. Oh, dude, I did three tours with ICP there. Oh, fucking boy. awesome. It was the white <laughs> dude. Listen, I played at the Gathering of the Juggalos one time, Joe. Listen, and from stage, I seen a girl getting her back blown out on a fence, getting fucked. I'm in the middle of a set. There are people to this day, I'm on Good Morning America. And they're like, what's the wildest? Talking to the people from Good Morning America on the phone, they're like, what's the wildest thing you've ever seen in the show? I was like, a girl getting fucked at the Gathering of the Juggalos. I was on stage, <laughs> and she was just getting her brains beat out. And they were over there filming and whooping and cheering it on to the music. It was fucking incredible so I'm doing DMT up in fucking this camper and I start tripping mushrooms and I'm coming out of my DMT thing and I'm in that afterglow state and in that moment I went the music's being packaged wrong it was this weird moment where I was like I'm writing these super dark songs but then I'm putting a cartoon picture of myself on the cover and I'm shooting you know what I mean like it just mm. it just hit me I was like I'm writing the right songs I'm just writing them over the wrong chord progressions and I'm dressing it up the wrong way. Changed my whole life, Joe. Wow. So what was it about the trip that made that apparent to you? I wish I, I dude, I don't know what it was. We wasn't even listening to music. I was just sitting at that KOA staring up at the stars. You know, I'm getting 60 bucks a night or something or hundred bucks a night. I mean, I'm playing, you know, dude, I mean, it's 10 of us. I mean, it's, you know, this, you know, the story yeah. we've all been there. Yeah. <laughs> so we were like struggle bussing and I was just having one of them vulnerable moments in life where I was like, am I fucking doing the right thing here? Like, am I tripping? How much longer am I going to try to push this square through this circle? You know? Mm. And I looked up and I was like, God, what am I doing wrong? I know my heart's right. I know that my only other choice in life is criminal. That's all I've ever done. Joe is music and crime. That's the only two things I've ever known, you know? So I'm like, I don't have any qualifications to do anything. You know, I was like, what am I doing wrong here? 
I know the music's right. And it was just all, it was almost like it was that easy. From years of trying to figure it out, it was like, you're just writing over the wrong chord progressions. You're writing the, you're writing the right songs. You're just writing them wrong. Wow. What do you think that is? What, what, what is happening? I wish I, dude, I was hoping you were going to give me the answers. I've been wanting to talk about this I think this if for I years. had the answer, you should walk out and never trust me again. Yeah. Well, because I, I learned about can... DMT on this show. <laughs> Whoops. Right? <laughs> well, they changed my fucking life. You know what I'm well, saying? They're, they're doing legitimate <laughs> studies now in the UK where they're doing a drip. So they're doing an IV drip with a, a long release of DMT. So it stays in your bloodstream for hours. And these people are having these experiences that are repeatable. They're going to similar places. They're going to the same place. They're reporting these contacts with entities. They're reporting these experiences that are, it's, it's odd. It's very odd, because no one does it in long doses. You do it in this 10 to 15 minute dose, and it's so overwhelming that the moment you get a chance to, it's so hard to relax in the middle of all of it and just accept it and just be empty and let them show you things. It's so hard that you, you, a lot of people wind up with this like tense conflict where you're in conflict with the overwhelming nature of the experience. So you're, tr you're, you're trying to control it in some sort of way or you're trying to deal with it and you just got to be able to, ah, uh, you just got to be able to do that. And if you can't do that, it's going to be a, a fucked up ride. Yeah. But these people are going through all that, and then they're getting to, and they're staying there for hours mm. and hours. What is that? I mean, I don't know if that's a hallucination. And that's the simplistic, reductionist view. If I was a, a person who is a cynical academic who's never fucked around with drugs, I would look at that and I go, well, this is really simple. It's interacting with your visual cortex. It's right. a, some sort of a, a hallucination. Your imagination is producing these results. But man, it doesn't feel like that. And I really wish people would have more of an open mind about what this is because I have a feeling it's the root of humanity. I have a feeling it's the root of all religious experiences. I have a feeling that it's the root of compassion and love. And I think it separates us from the, the more primal aspects of our beings. And it, and it does it in a very tangible way. And it did it with me, and I'm sure it did it with you, um, and it does it with a lot of people that, that go and have either ayahuasca experiences or DMT experiences. These things that you should probably call ceremonies, even though it sounds, ceremony is a ridiculous word. But it is kind of like you're in a religious experience, and that might be what God is. That, that, that experience, when you, uh, there might be layers and layers to that until you eventually get to God. And I don't know what these people are doing. They're doing this long-term IV drip thing, but I mean, you literally might be opening up some sort of a wormhole to heaven, as, as bonkers as that sounds. I know you're going to be one of the first people that'll figure it out. And when you do, please let me tag along. I will not figure it out, but I will talk to whoever figures it out. That's what I'll do. Yeah, but There's, if you find the drips, let me know. Cal, I'll let you save know. me a seat for the drips. Hundred percent, bro. We're going to travel together. It's, yeah, we we did it. We did a bunch of that um, on that tour, and and to this day, if I'm really dealing with something I can't figure out my own, I'll take some shrooms and go to the lake. Mm. Like to this day, I just kind of count on that stuff to kind of recalibrate me and yeah. set me, set me, set me back. Where I, especially artistically, sometimes or when life's getting overwhelming, mm -hmm. there's such a 
humility and humbling that comes yeah. with that. You just realize how much you don't fucking matter and how much you, you, it's not even that you realize shit don't matter. You realize you don't matter. It's also when your ego gets squashed, you realize your ego is the source of almost all the fear and anxiety, almost mm-hmm. all of it. Once your ego gets squashed, which is what the, the trip does initially, especially, it's like you don't even exist anymore. You're just like, oh, and then you can see things. For what they really are. Like, oh my God, we're a part of this insane soup of molecules that literally goes on forever. And no one understands it. No one understands the, even the parameters of it. It's all guesswork. It's all these legal pads where these psycho smart dudes are writing down computations and they're looking at these images that are billions of light years away. I mean, mm. it's all, all, even what our limited ability to observe the known universe. But this the capacity of knowledge that had to be moved all together in synchronicity to create these fucking telescopes. All this shit is insane. <laughs> and, and that is just scratching the surface. Oh, yeah. There's so much out there. I've went through so many of those wormholes. Recently, I've got, I finally got to watch the on the bus the other night that uh, Graham Hancock. Oh yeah, the Netflix doc. Oh, it's the, amazing. It's, it yeah. was insane. It's I never really scratched it, and I just knew his name. I'd seen clips, and I was like, "Fuck it, we're sitting on a bus stone." Let's just, yeah, you know, that's the coolest thing about the bus. We'll sit there and catch up on all that shit. Graham Hancock is the man. He was one of the first real guests I ever had on the podcast. Yeah, yeah he flew in. We ate pizza, and then we did a podcast. God, he had just up. flown. He came right to my house <laughs> from this one. I used to do it in my house when I had it in one of my spare bedrooms. It was me and, and Duncan and Graham Hancock. Because I read his first book, uh, Fingerprints of the Gods, in like the 90s sometimes. And uh, and everybody was like, that's nonsense. You're into that pseudo-history shit. Right. And I was like, this guy's got like really good points. Like, I think he might be onto something. <laughs> and his his whole like journey from being this guy who was maligned to being a guy who has a Netflix series. Yeah. And all these archaeologists are complaining. But hey, look what he's doing. He's showing you archaeological evidence, you psychos. Oh, yeah. Like, there's something yeah. to this. Yeah. Whatever well, it's like he's the saying, dude that comes in it. and crushes it and looks, and because he crushes it so much, you realize how much other people wasn't doing their job. Yeah. Like when you hire a new tour tech or something, he comes in and kills you. are like, damn, that other dude sucks. <laughs> I didn't know that he was saying. Exactly. That's why they're mad at him. They're like, oh, fuck, we've been blowing it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, they're all, they're all kind of humiliated by this guy who's not an archaeologist who's discovered this very clear and distinct pattern and this pattern seems to indicate that civilization is far older than we think it is and there's likely been some interruptions we were knocked into the Stone Age and then when he got together with Randall Carlson and all the the archaeological evidence lines up with all the evidence of the impacts. Is like, Randall the oh, guy that was with him that has the beard? Yeah, Always has the Randall's laptop? Randall's amazing. He's the best. He's dude. the best. He's I the met best. that dude in Georgia. I was in Atlanta and I was doing, what was the Funny Bone or the Punchline? The Punchline Atlanta, right? Yeah. It was the Punchline. So I was doing the Punchline and uh, after the show, this dude came up to me and he was talking to me about asteroid impacts and sacred geometry i'm like what the <laughs> fuck do you do <laughs> me and him had this conversation and he, he started talking to me about asteroid impacts and he was telling me that he thinks that that's what reset civilization i was like how long what? ago is this long time ago this is a long time ago i love the idea of you yeah. just being at a bar after a show and a guy's just yeah, ramming this, you about I think fucking this like asteroids 2005 or some shit <laughs> yeah it was a long ass time ago i think i'm pretty sure it was pre-podcast mm. when i first met him that's me and him yeah what is that oh that's like 2007 then it says nine it says nine 2009 yeah is that the first time i met him 
I don't. I God, mean, am I off by that many years? Well, you also so you, know, you, you know how this shit works, though. They might have uploaded this. No, yeah, I think that's correct, though. It looks right because of my beard, because I grew a beard when Evan oh, Tanner died. 2008. So 2008. A little bit after. That's yeah. right. Okay. Yeah, there's a dude named Evan Tanner. He was a UFC champion, and uh, he was a very interesting guy. Very interesting guy, and he would do these things that he would go on a walkabout, you know, to try to find himself, just to just go alone in the woods. And he did one in Death Valley. And uh, you, you, heat stroke apparently wow. affects your ability to, literally, you can't think straight. Mm. So he couldn't figure out where the water was. Oh. He just couldn't figure out where it was. Because, like... I don't know. I've never had heat stroke, but the way it's described, it's like it, it doesn't matter how tough you are. It's like your brain doesn't work right. right. Like your your memories aren't good. You you can't walk right. Like you're about to die. Yeah. And then he died. Mm. And Death Valley is, uh, I think it's the hottest spot on earth, right? Yeah. What does it get to? It's right outside of Vegas, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. The hottest recorded I think we hit was like 130-something. Yeah. So uh, Evan, you know, so. Just a very interesting guy, very, very tough guy, too, and a great fighter, and we all loved him. And so so that was, like, right around that time. That's how you remember us from the beard. Yeah, man, he was an interesting dude. When an interesting dude winds up dying in a way that's unfortunate and preventable like that, it's like, fuck, mm. man. He would have been cool to have around, you know. Yeah. He had, like, a very different take on why he was a fighter. and Like, he was, like, trying to find himself through this. You know, and there's there's certain guys that it's like there's authenticity that comes through in music and it fucking comes through in everything, man. Mm. It comes through in fighting, too. It comes through the certain humans that are just so authentic that right. when when they're out there, you just want you want the best for them. Yeah. You want to see them fight, you know, and uh, when you, you you see people like that in life. That's the one of the beautiful things about today is that you get exposed to so many more inspirational and fascinating people to be a young person right now and to have all these different stories. You got your culture walls out there. You got you. You got Zach Bryan. You got all these different human beings. You got all this music from the 60s and the 70s and the 80s. And there's so much to right. influence you. And, and it's, it's, so, it's at the tap of a, it's in our hand. Any time you want. <laughs> yeah. Why go to sleep? Your parents uh -huh. aren't paying attention. Stay on YouTube. You, I, you'll be on YouTube till four o'clock uh, in the morning. You gotta sure. get up at six. Yeah. Like these no, kids don't give a fuck. At all. And the and the thing about it is, it changed our business on its head, mm. like on our head, and everybody was so against it at first. Napster. Yeah, they were so, but they were so like, I never forget having a conversation with a distributor that said, "Well, let me say this first of all. I would like to say though, I don't want to breeze over. I'd I'd like to take a moment because I know it means a lot to his family. I'm sure to say, rest in peace, to Evan Tanner. And yeah. I'm sure you bringing that up." means so much to their to that family alone and that's awesome then that alone his story will live forever because of this and that's also what's cool about the era we're in right you mm. know what i mean is that forever we'll have that clip of joe rogan getting emotional talking about his friend evan tanner because you've seen a picture of you with a beard that makes me want to cry with you joe because that's that fucking awesome i don't want to i don't want to breeze past that because that's cool as fuck there's well there's something about like commentating on fighters where you have this uh, this crazy uh, connection with them, where you want them to to do good in life, you want them to. You've seen their soul. Mm. You, you when you when you see two dudes going to war inside the octagon, there's, they're exposing every fiber of their being, yeah. especially if it's a tough fight. 
all the quitting you shows up, all the excuses show up, all everything shows up. The 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 will, the courage, everything. Whoever you are, it shows up, and you get to know these people, and you get to know them as a fan too. And I think that's one of the, the things that people love about fighters. So you get to see you you know you see the actual whole human being. There's no place to hide. Yeah, I think we relate to things. We we connect with things that we either relate to. Are things that are so like around us that we could never understand it. Yeah. So for me, for a fighter, it's like I respect the fact that I could never imagine getting down into a diaper, getting into a <laughs> ring with a pair of oven mitts, a pair of oven mitts, Joe, and fucking trying to kill another man uh, for north of fifteen minutes yeah. at times. You know, like that just concept for to me is fight. fucking insane. You know what I'm saying? It's like well, it is insane. I just could never wrap my head around that. I was talking to Tony last night about I feel like about comedians. Like me and the musicians were in the green room shooting the shit with Tony, and I was like, "We got something you don't, Tony. We can bail each other out, or we're gonna bomb together." I mm. bombed before and looked back at the band and just smiled like, "Well, we're bombing. It's happening." You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it fucking sucks. You know what I mean? Like, but when y'all bomb, oh, you could hear a fucking yeah. mosquito fart. I could have heard a mouse piss on cotton last night a couple times yeah. after a dude just threw up an egg. Well, those those are hard sets. Those kill Tony sets because those guys are going up. They have one minute, and you got one minute, and you didn't even know you were about to go up until like ten seconds ago. Yeah. They pull your name out of the hat like Mike Wilson. Oh shit, that's You're me. Just Oh my god! And then you're up there, and you're like, you're talking too fast. Yeah. Your heart's beating too quick. You thought you can't it was 60 down. seconds, but it was 20. Yeah, and then your joke, you forget one of the punchlines. Like fuck. Yeah, yeah. It's it hard. was fucking awesome, though. But but Tony's so good at like making fun of those moments. No, he and just, I've seen people bomb and then come back and do well. No, I have for seen sure. That. I have. Seen I that. seen a guy last. And I, 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 I'm sure Tony said I could talk about it. I seen a guy last night bomb, and then Tony punched his shit up in real time, and it was the funniest thing I've ever seen in human person. I pissed myself a little bit. I tinkled myself. I was sitting, I was, I was the obnoxious dude on the balcony laughing so hard that the balcony kept laughing because I was still laughing. They, everybody had moved on in the club but me, and I just couldn't get over fucking him going up and just being like, listen. And he would tap on the, I don't want to blow his whole shit. I'll watch it's coming that, out I on YouTube. I want to watch that one. Yeah, I'll watch that but one. this I'm one's excited. worth watching. It's fucking They're all great. worth watching, man. It's the best show. Yeah, I we watch love them. that We show. watch them on the bus pretty I, religiously. I come in on Monday nights when I'm free i'll come yeah. in and check it out yeah. watch it's just, just to sit down and watch it's so yeah. fun no dude it's a hang it's such a weirdo extravaganza too you're the the weird energy from all those open micers on the stage they had a kid with down <laughs> syndrome get up last night joe and kill and then the guy that came behind him did not and it was the funniest thing i've ever seen was it jared cleaver i don't remember his name uh, jared nathan rather yeah who's jared cleaver jared nathan yeah but he yeah was, jared nathan is the guy that's always on uh Assange thing him and Hassan always do those uh, Instagram clips together. Yeah, yeah, we're here. Jared Nathan's hilarious. Yeah, we're huge comedy people on the bus, man. We watch all the specials, all the pods, like because I don't listen to music. Mm. When I'm in album cycle mode, Joe, it, it, unless it's like '70s music, because I'm already drawing so much from that shit, anyways. You know what I mean? In do my you have style? a playlist that you listen to before you perform? Do you ever like listen to like? I got that from Cat Williams. He um, he said that once. He was doing this interview. He said, uh, I have a playlist of music that I listen to before I go on stage. I was like, ooh, that's a good idea. It is. Anthony Smith told me he's got one for his pre-fight, too. 
He's got uh, the same playlist. He said he puts his headphones mm. on. And it's the same playlist, and because mm. I had a song in it, that's that was the correlation how we met. You know, oh, that's cool. It, which was super cool. And he explained, he's like, yeah, I listen to the same playlist for the last four or five fights. I create new playlists every, mm. five, you know, whenever there's a new energy shift, and it's what I listen to a full playlist, and that's crazy. We'll listen to like outlaw country music. I love mm. out. You know, I was a kid. My mama played this for me, and this is when I knew I'd end up doing country music. The first time I heard, looking for trouble, and I found a son, right down a barrel of a law man's gun. And I was like, this is a fucking country song? Yeah. I was like, they ain't living long like this. Ain't living long like this. Oh, my baby. And I was like, holy shit, this is gangster. Outlaw Country was the original gangster rap. Oh, for sure. For 100%. sure. 100%. Well, listen, hot take. Um, Subterranean Blues Ooh. by Bob Dylan yeah. was the first rap song ever. Ooh, I'm you ready, I you ready for that I've argument? That. Listen to this. What's, what's Subterranean Blues? Which one is that? You pull it up right quick. I'm in a basement, mixing up the betterment. I'm on the pavement, thinking about the government. Oh, yeah. Tell me this ain't rap. Oh, that's the one with the signs. Yep. Yeah. Mixing up the medicine. I'm on the pavement, thinking about the government. <laughs> Yeah. Hmm. Now I'm sure there's something that dates back before this that can be as a tip to hip hop, but to me it was one of the first songs I heard that I was like, "Yo, this is this was like early rap, like kind Dylan of like was early rap." On Did there. you ever see? There's what is the oldest rap music? We played that on the podcast before. It's these dudes from like, is it the fifties? 40s? 40s and 50s. Mm. The Jubilers? Yes, these guys. Have you ever seen this? Look at these dudes. Oh shit! He must have sent the man, and then he decided to destroy the land. He spoke to Noah. Noah, stop! He said, Noah, I want you to build me an ark. I want you to build it three cubits long. I want you to build it big and strong. I want it fifty high and fifty wide, so it will stand the wind and tide. Come on, man! God, nineteen forty what? Crazy. What year was this, Jamie? I don't know the specific. It says uh, active in the 40s and the 50s. Wow. wow. Yeah, never knew. I knew, like wow. I said, I knew it came from, you know. This is incredible. Yeah, because a lot of the melodies and stuff and music and came from this era. Oh, really, and it was, re really came out. A lot, of, a lot of the melodies still to this day, them real soulful melodies came from the slave spiritual songs. What is the other one? They would they uh, put it through a color filter? Yeah, yeah they just colorize the. Filter. How dare they do that? <laughs> How they dare they do that? And added a beat. 
Oh. Oh, that's an 808, though. Oh. Hey. Shout out to Basic on YouTube. Oh, this is good. <laughs> it is, actually. Keep it going. Keep it going. Make it to your playlist. I like it. B A S S I C basic on YouTube. Fuck yeah. I like that. So that must be the earliest rap. Yeah, that was that oh yeah, for sure. That's coming straight out of like I bet they probably had some stuff that felt real rapish back in them old churches too, man. When them preachers would get to going over the music, you know, or over the organ. I bet a lot of that stuff was just start of the early rhythm of that shit, right? For sure. Yeah, a lot of people's introduction to music, I'm sure, was at church. I'm sure. You know, when you go back to old music, it's there's similarities like in old music, old literature, old comedy, old movies. There, there. You, you're in a time machine. Like it's hard to put yourself in that time to appreciate what it was like. But like Robert Johnson. Like, if you can listen to some Robert Johnson, like, what year are we talking with the Robert Johnson recordings? Because I, I think there's only a few. But this motherfucker was so good at the time that the rumor was that he sold his soul to the devil. That was the one they did the Netflix doc on then, right? Robert Johnson, dude, yeah. He Wasn't was, there a de- was, it, was that not the one, that the, the devil or something? I don't they, know if they did yeah. it. I'll check, but there was a doc about it. That was always like, that was how people talked about it. Yeah, because if he's the one I remember, the story was he disappeared for like a year, (laughs) they said, and came back like the best guitar player ever. (laughs) Right? Wow. I swear there was this story of this guy that was like, he disappeared, and that's when they said he met the devil and made a deal. Three days over 1936. He recorded 29 songs. Wow. God, dude. That's like little Wayne levels of working. Jesus Christ. Back when they were singing in, in the San Antonio. <laughs> oh, shit. He did it in San Antonio. Um, I think he did a little bit in 31 also, but the main thing that everybody knows, I believe, is this album, the complete recording. Yeah. Those days. Dude, oh, p- play some of that for me. Days later. Give me some of that. So the thing about listening to this dude is you got to kind of put yourself in 1936. You know, even the idea of an electric guitar all these things are alien, oh, right? Yeah. Amplifiers are alien. These are all new things. Like, what are these things? Yeah. And you got this dude that everybody's like, how? Yeah. Like, how? What do you? And it's, it's these people that come out of, of these situations and and emerge, and everybody sort of like learns from them. And now and these kids of today, they get you, they get him, they right. get Johnny Cash, they get fucking Casey and the Sunshine Band, they get a, a soup. Of yeah. influences, this guy. What did he have? He had to fit. Yeah. Yeah. Let's sure. listen to some of this. So that you got to no influences other than other musicians. He's singing about meeting the devil. Mm. I went to the crossroad. <laughs> he leaned into the rumors, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Double down. <laughs> You know what you can hear distinctly 
is the pain of that era. Yeah. You know, you say you put yourself in that era. I'm not much of a historian, but I can hear the pain. Yeah. And that texture, that soul. So this is the 1930s. So this is post-depression. Yeah. And this is also the South. And it's not even a hundred years since slavery was abolished. Yeah. So you're dealing with Jim Crow and the just the stains of hundreds of years of oppression. Mm. Just in the culture, in everything. Ugh, you just hear it so clear. That's the horrible thing about horrible things. Yeah. Oh boy, that, dark going to get me here. Mm. Dark gonna catch me here. Wow. Oh, this is awesome. I'll be listening to this for the rest of the month now. See, this is the shit I want to be inspired by working on the album. Oh boy, Dark gonna get me here. Damn. God, dude. Yeah, we're we're so fortunate that we have the the access to those to all these different things like instantly, and you get to think about it. Like, I don't even think we can imagine living at that time. I don't, if you took a person from twenty twenty three and you put him in that time, just it would feel like torture. You'd be like, "What is this? Right? You guys don't even have any medicine. Yeah, yeah. What the fuck is going on? <laughs> you don't know what's going on. Yeah. You have no idea. Yeah. You have no internet. You have nothing. You're about to go into World War II. You don't even know. Even getting records when they stopped selling CDs, Joe. I was this. Is how long I've been doing this? So, <laughs> a buddy of mine calls me and goes, uh, "We had an industry distributor we use out of Memphis called Selecto Hits by the Phillips family. They've been putting out records for." 50, 60, 70 years. He said, you need to hurry up and get you a, a trade card at Best Buy because they're they're fixing to disappear. And I'll never forget this phone call, Joe. I said, hell, it sounds to me like we need to be figuring out what's next if we're fixing to fucking disappear. It don't sound like I need to be rushing to get on a shelf that's fixing to go. Right. You know? And I, I felt like the guy screaming the sky was falling. Right? I was like, I'm telling y'all. Like, as soon as they called me with Spotify and everybody was like, early, early, uh, iTunes was cool because you still got the same dollar per download you would for a CD sale in the store. But when Spotify and them come, remember how many people held out initially? All these major artists held out. Like, we're not letting Spotify play it. And I just had a feeling that once this thing converted to here and you could listen to music anywhere, because when I was growing up, it was even worse when you were growing up probably, but when I was growing up, you had two choices to listen to music, in the car or in the house. Or you could bring a boombox outside, but wherever you took music, you had to carry a physical thing to play it. You know what I mean? It, yeah. was, it was like a chore. Yeah. You, you, you either had to buy two CDs or for one for the house, you know, or you'd scratch the shit out of them. We'd have the cases going down the road. And that's the only time we could consume music. Dude, my daughter listens to music all, all day. That's all I hear. Yeah. She cleans her room. I hear music. She's yeah. downstairs cooking scrambled eggs. I got a 15-year-old. She's downstairs cooking scrambled eggs, Joe. She's fucking got her little cell phone sitting right there playing. And it's so cool to listen to it go from Ariana Grande to Co Wetzel. You know mm. what I mean? And then I watch it go from Co Wetzel to Cardi B. And then it swings into like a print song. You know what I mean? I'm just mm. like, fuck yeah. Way yeah. to fucking go. Because when I was a kid, <laughs> dude, if you showed up to school in a Metallica shirt, you better not show up in an M&M shirt Friday, motherfucker. 
You know how that was. Uh, yeah, you were yeah, tribal yeah. by music. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like, no, nah, you were you, you music identified you. Her generation, she can, she's got Ariana Grande shirts, Taylor Swift shirts, fucking Cody Johnson shirts. Beautiful. You know? Yeah, she's all over the place. Well, it's like you'd be stupid to deny there's all sorts of cool shit out there. Only be a Metallica fan. Get the fuck out of here. Or only be a heavy metal fan. And that's fan. how it was. Oh, no, you're a metal guy. You can't, you know. Oh, for sure. Like, when I first started listening to country, a lot of my friends were like, what are you listening to? Mm. Like, why are you listening to that? I'm like, what are you talking about? This yeah. is great music. Great music, It man. sounds great. Yes. I enjoy it. Yes, you know, I, I, I'm not gonna pretend I don't enjoy something, so I fit into a tribe. That right. just seems so stupid. Yeah, and you're missing half of what life is all about. God, dude, it's. I appreciate all music. That's kind of where I lined up in the music world, anyways. I, I was the youngest of four, right? So by default, I never controlled the fucking radio. I never one time in my childhood got to determine what was getting played in any room of the house. So I just learned to deal with whatever I was listening to, you know? And because of, you know how brothers and sisters are, none of them wanted to be alike. So I had a sister that listened to nothing but rock music. I had a brother that listened to nothing but rap music. Another brother that listened to like singer songwriter shit like our father. You know what I mean? Like we had all these different, my mother listened to this kind of music. Daddy listened to this kind of music. So every car, I'm baby Jason. I'm just sitting in the back seat, you know, pimping to whatever we're pimping to, you know? And that's, I think, why my music ended up going from hip hop into rock and into and I've had a hit at I've had a billboard chart on all three genres, right? Because I was so influenced by this shit for so long anyways. Like I just fucking love the concept of music. I love the idea of I, I went to Lollapalooza ninety seven at Starwood Amphitheater. Mm. Joe. Dude, listen. Wow. Let me remind you, it was Snoop Dogg, Prodigy, Tool, Corn, right? And I'll never forget watching Snoop Dogg go on and then Prodigy and then Korn. And I remember thinking, this is the coolest shit I've ever seen. Wow. And this is 1997, so keep in mind Snoop Dogg is snooping. This is like primetime Snoop that. Dogg, right? Oh, yeah, no, it was fucking insane, dude. I remember watching Julian and Damian Marley on the second stage, right? And us sliding down the hill in the rain. And I just remember going, man, if you can go from Snoop Dogg to Tool, you know what I mean, to the corn. And all these fans were the same people. The same people that were acting all tribal at school were all here singing every word of Snoop Dogg and every word of corn. And right then I knew those lines were just going to get more blurry. And then the mm. phones came out. You know what I mean? It's not weird now. Like, I love the genre influences. I love hearing an 808 and a Morgan Wallen song. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, it's just a moment I just fucking love that hat. I love that tip when Zach Crowell first started producing them old Sam Hunt records. And the first time I heard Break Up in a Small Town and she would get down and you just hear that fucking pounding 808. And you're like, this is not country music. This is awesome. Mm. They have officially brought hip hop into country music. You know what I mean? And yeah. I just think I love anytime people can tastefully bring shit together i mean that was one of the cool things about early hip-hop too is samples yes. you know it's it fucked them up when it came to licensing and a lot of people had to pay a lot of money because of that because they had hits that sampled other people's music like vanilla ice famously Ooh. right oh yeah i mean that was uh, under pressure and then 100%. he tried to dispute it which was, was the craziest the, shit i've ever seen in my life listening to the same <laughs> thing what we all heard it there's no way if my mom could figure it out you're fucked yeah. You know what I'm saying? If my mom was like, that sounds like the same song. I was like, you're not winning, you know. 
but there was there was some great uses of of sampling. There's like sam and songs and rhythms and 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 different beats. It was really interesting. It was an interesting uh, thing that happened that sort of emerged from the hip hop world of combining music to make a totally unique product that's arguably as good, if not better, than the original. Yeah, I mean, they, they they made some amazing 100%. songs with sampling. That the sampling made the song better. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, it was fun too, and oh, it was so also good. an homage to all these other things they were sampling. Yeah. I mean, how many movies do they say? How many times do people use Say Hello to My Little Friend in a oh, hip-hop God, song? <laughs> you know, I was telling Stan Hope, I, talking about sampling, for about three years, I opened my show to a Stan Hope bit. Uh, so the stage would go completely black, and you would hear his bit about, um, yeah, a lot of people here tonight are counting on me for a good time. That's why I drink booze. I don't count on you for a good time. I, I'm going to have fun no matter what. What if I get up here and I'm too drunk and I fucking blow it? And I don't tell one funny fucking joke, and everybody hates me. It wasn't my fault. You should have drank, cocksucker, or whatever that bit was, you know? Yeah. I'm butchering it, but it was the bit. And we literally played that every night. I got a Joey, I don't want to spoil it, but I got a Joey bit on the new tour that we're opening with. This fucking nice. dope. But yeah, I love it. Imagine it goes stacking. You hear fucking Stan Hope. And the best part is Stan Hope was like, I'd fucking, why didn't I know this? And I was like, I think that's what makes it so cool. And I fucking <laughs> did it for years. I wanted to reach out, but I was afraid you'd want money or something. Uh, I'd have to pay whoever fucking had, because it was one of the old albums, you know? <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah, yep. maybe somebody else owns it, right? Yeah, yeah, that's always the It might be one of those things. Yeah, yeah it's always the sketchy part. I'm going to have to find out about the Joey Diaz <sighs> sample because I'm going to put it on the next record anyway. I'll, I'll ask. We'll, we'll, yeah. get, well, you know Joey. Yeah, yeah, I'll hit him. I'm going to send it to him and be like, yeah, I wanna, I wanna, I'll tell you which one off camera because I want it to still be a surprise at the show. Okay. So, But it's cool. It's yeah. a good idea. Yeah. It's uh, the, the whole way of you're doing it, of just doing what you want to do, yeah. it, it, and, and just having a good time, it's, it comes through in your music, man, with yeah. your expression. Yeah. It comes through. It's yeah. awesome. Thank you, man. Uh, you know Josh Adam Myers, right? Sure. I got to tell you my Josh Adam Myers story. I went. To, I played Fremont Street the day of Skank, the weekend of Skank Fest last year. So Skank Fest is on. Uh, just coincidentally. Coincidentally. Oh boy. Skank Fest is on this part of Fremont, and I'm on the middle of Fremont doing the stage, right? And we have. Literally, and I'm proud of this, by the way. We have the biggest crowd they've ever had at a Fremont Rocks, ever. Like, literally. The mayor comes and meets us. <laughs> now, keep in mind Now keep in mind that my wife, Joe, and I don't know what you know about her, but I want to tell you a piece of her story, too. My wife grew up in Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, my wife was a high-end escort her whole life. That's what she did when I met her. I was broke. I was living in a 1996 van, literally, didn't have a house. And this woman has like two condos and a few sports cars, Whoa. right? She's like fucking bawling. It's so funny now the internet when I won these awards are like, this bitch is a gold digger. I was like, I was the gold digger. You know what I'm saying? Like this woman had so much money. So the irony that we're sitting here meeting the mayor on Fremont Street and she's like, holy shit. We fucking did it because she's got a podcast and a huge Patreon and she's just crushing on her own regard. Love you, Mama Bear. Shout out to the Dumb Blonde podcast. But, um... Thank you for firing up that, that cocoa one more time, that, uh, that laughing gas. But, uh, and I'm leaving, and I know Skankfest is there, so I'm ready to go. I'm like, we're going to Skankfest. I'm fucking almost blackout drunk, Joe. I may or may not have been fucking with my nose. I mean, I'm having Whoa. a Las Vegas night, right? And I haven't done this in a long time. I'm, like, 
off my shit. And they're doing the goddamn comedy jam at Skankfest. So it's where Josh Adam Meyer does this music medley of funny, like, and he's Shane Gillis is up singing like Megadeth. Yeah, comedians sing songs. Oh, bro. And I'm crying, though. It's so fucking funny. Uh, Sam Tripoli brought me up, and fucking I didn't know the song we were singing. I'm just fucking drunk, drunk. <laughs> and when Josh Adam Meyer gets off stage, I look at him, Joe, and I go, I want you to open up my tour next year. I'm doing my first full arena amphitheater tour, and I want you to be my opening act. And I offered him money right then on the spot. I made the deal right there drunk, Joe. Wow. I didn't talk to this guy for 10 months. I'm sitting in CAA's office, right? And they're like, hey, did you look over the list of the one of threes? You know, it's the first. You know how it works. So right. he's like, did you look over your list of one of threes? I said, no, I've already got that figured out. I'm taking this comedian that does music. And they were like, what? I was like, yeah, yeah I'm taking this comedian that does music. I cold call him, Joe. <laughs> right? I cold Ten months call later. Him. Ten months later. Sitting like, this in guy CAA. did not remember yeah, that. Sitting in CAA, and I'm like, hey, Josh, it's Jelly Roll. He's like, what's up, Bubba? I was like, did you block that month, two months off I told you to block off? He said, I did, and everybody thinks I'm crazy. I said, you're not, motherfucker. You're coming. He was like, <laughs> you're shitting me. So right now, Josh Adam Myers is going to open up the – he's actually hosting it. So between each act, he'll come out and do – 10 minutes of like comedy music shit right. with the band and it's fucking that's my favorite story to tell because josh said he called steve byrne who's a buddy of mine and byrne said listen man i don't care how drunk jelly was if jelly looked you in the eye and told you you're doing it leave those two months open wow. yeah josh was like everybody thought i was a fucking nutbag i've been turning down shows wow <laughs> and i gave him what i offered him that night I can't believe you can remember it. No, I remember the number vividly because when Live Nation told me what they'd give him, I was like, oh, it's going to cost me some money. Fuck. Mm. And I was a man of my word, though. I was like, yo, I'm going to eat it. Let's do it. Beautiful. Yeah. It's one of them old school deals where the contract says something, but what we worked out is different. Mm. Yeah, but that's my guy, man. I told him I was going to do it, and that's my fucking – and we're still going to do Skankfest this year. We're going to fly in on that last Sunday and do it together. Because <laughs> that night I got drunk and told Jay I'll play Skankfest for free whenever. You know what I'm saying? I hit Jay this year. I was like, yo, I didn't forget. I'm coming, motherfucker. Gangfest is a wild experience. It's the gathering of the juggalos for comedians. It is. It, it is really fucking is. awesome. It, it, it seems so insane. Mm. They're That's singing it. Rob Zombie. That's him right there. <laughs> My favorite thing was fans all day called our group Gilly Roll. <laughs> <laughs> Gilly Roll. Yeah. Best night, dude. That's Fucking, awesome. It was so it was it was it was really cool, and I'm excited to have Josh out too, man. I think he'll bring a whole different element to the tour because we're taking a Ashley McBride's doing six or seven dates, the Grammy Award winning Chase Rice. When I come to Texas, we're here. Do you remember the date, Jamie? I told you September 21st. September 21st I'll be here. If you're in town, I'd love for y'all to come out. And I got Three Six Mafia doing all the Texas dates. The original group, DJ Paul Whoa. and Juicy J from the legendary rap group. So this is this is big. They were one of the first people that gave me my chance. What an interesting combination. You know that that's uh, that's such a fun thing. Like you were saying about kids today, and about you know your taste and everybody's taste. So like you can mix up shit together and it works. It just yeah. somehow or another works. It's fun. Josh it's fun. Adam Myers, my best friend Struggle Jennings, uh, will be doing the whole tour. So me, him, Josh Adam Myers. It's gonna be fun, dude. It's gonna be it's gonna be really big. And I thought it was a cool way. Me and uh, him were talking about it. it's a cool way to bring comedy while keeping a music crowd entertained. Yeah, it's it's funny that musicians like to listen to comedy and comedians like to listen to music. Because we all fucking think we're funny. Uh, you know what I mean? It's, I haven't <laughs> met a musician that doesn't at least have a couple of minutes of jokes that we can say on stage if we get in a cramp. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, right, we got right, a couple right. of go-to, get a quick, cheap laughs, cheap claps. Yeah. You know what I mean? But just enough of it that we all think we're fucking hilarious. Well, everybody could do comedy. It's just, you know, if you could talk to people like you talk to me right now, you could do comedy. Right. You just have to figure it out. Right. But it's the figuring it out part that's it's weirder than it looks. It's like it's very easy to judge, too, because you're on the outside and you could talk, too. The like, idea that too. you work your stuff out in front of people is crazy to me. That's what I admire the most from comedians is like, as musicians, we got a little cheat code. We get to go sit in a room and get really weird and like fuck up a thousand times before, and nobody will ever know it, because by the time we put the song out, you know what I mean? Yeah. We wrote 70 songs and picked seven and reproduced them 10 times, and it's like where y'all motherfuckers are like, you're just up there like, yeah, I thought this was funny in the car on the way here. Let's see how it works in front of 500 strangers <laughs> staring at me. I think it's like everything. You get accustomed to stuff. Like, you know, the, the problem with like going back to 1936 is that we're accustomed to 2023. Right. If you lived in 1936, you'd be fine with it. If you were a fighter, you'd be fine with being a fighter. Right. You'd, it would be a normal thing for you. You've been always been doing martial arts. You used to being in pain. You used to getting punched and kicked and strangled. You'd do it, like just like if I had, a, if I was a musician, I would do music. You you would you would figure out. You'd be a chess player. You would right. be a fucking whatever it is, man. There's like things that people do where they figure something out, and then they become that thing. Whether it's a soldier or a fighter, and there definitely are people whose personalities are more aligned to certain types of occupations. Yeah. But like, how much of that is chance? How much of that is your personality sort of evolved along with your obsession with whatever it is, whether it's music or comedy or martial arts or sports? People become an, a, like a sort of a conglomeration of all the other people that are around them, too. There's a lot of that. So there's like this giant influence from all over the place. Yeah. Well, like I tell, with my music, because it's changed over the years, the man changed. I just drug the music along, right? Like right. as my heart and my spirit changed and my views about life and people and my spirit changed. So the music changed. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, Joe, I don't know if you know this, but. I, I spent most of my, from 14 to 25 in jail. Yeah, I do know that. I spent like a ton of time. At 16, I was charged as an adult for a, a, a charge. And what did you do? It was, a, it was the first time I've ever actually talked about the charge. Um, I just say it was, a, it was a heinous crime, admittedly. It was horrible. We robbed a couple of guys for some weed. But they called the police because we took some money and some stuff. And it was it was an armed robbery. I mean, we went in there with a gun. I regret it every day of my life, Joe. You know, I mean, I, I was a kid. Now, I'm not making an excuse, but I would like to paint the picture that I literally did not have pubic hairs. I'm a 15-year-old kid when it happens, you know. And I still feel horrible about it. But because the state of Tennessee has a zero forgiveness policy for violent offenders, I've carried that unexpungable felony for 20-something years. It prohibits me from getting houses. It's prohibited. It's 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 put me in. I mean, it, life insurance, homeowner insurance is higher if I can get it at all. I can't get life insurance at all, just because they just they have a most of them won't give you a decent policy as a felon. Um, I can't, dude. I can't volunteer at the YMCA. The Young Men's a Christian Academy won't let me. You know, just um, me and my wife just got turned down for a house. I'm in a place in life where I go to buy my dream home, guard-gated community, golf course. Man, I'm crying, Joe. They accept my offer. Everything's going crazy. I'm like, this ain't going to be real. They turn me around and say, no, the golf course won't let a felon be a part of the community. You know, and I'm 
I'm a fucking dude. I'm a 15, 16 year dude. But the the idea that there's just this one definition, this one solid yes or no, this is a thing. You 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 have the mark on you, right? And it's not an individual with individual circumstances. That's so ridiculous, and that's not what a human being is supposed to be about. We're not supposed to be about that. We're we're supposed to be about understanding situations. And when there's a child that does something really fucking stupid and knows it forever. You don't think you could have done that? This is what I would tell to people. If you were in that same community, you were with those same influences, this was the reality that right. you were born into, you don't think you could have gone with those other kids that were going to rob someone with a gun? You could have. Don't yeah. lie to yourself. Yeah. You could have. They're not unsavable human beings. Right. And then that's why I focus all of my philanthrop- philanthropic efforts with the juvenile at home. You know, we sunk a quarter million dollars into there for my last hometown show. I sold out my arena. Big, craziest night ever. You know, fucking the hometown arena. You know how big that shit is. When you do yeah. the hometown, it just hits different. Yeah, you know what I'm different. saying? When you're like, oh, no, this is home. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, they like me at home. Yeah. You for, know? for me, it's Boston. Yeah. Yeah. When you played the garden, right? Yeah. God, crazy, dude. I just couldn't imagine the emotions of just like, dude, I fucking ate shit at this comedy club here. I fucking, fucking talk, fucking kickboxing and shit out here for fucking 20 bucks a session and here i am standing in the fucking garden <laughs> dude i was like i was sitting two blocks away from the juvenile i was in george wow. i mean uh joe and i'm sitting there joe and they and i, I went and talked to the kids before i went and met them all sh- spent thanksgiving with them before the show fed them and sat down with them and said look y'all i know a couple of y'all been here for a year or two just like i was i'm building a studio in here and i'm building trade programs and i got y'all's back Man, we helped out with a lot of lawyers. Wow. We put it. We worked with the state. Now they're building a new juvenile that we're going to sink millions of dollars into and, and have an aftercare program. I'm going to do so much for at-risk youth in Nashville because my whole life changed in that. It, it was the most – I look back at it, and I talk about it so much that sometimes I desensitize myself for how traumatic it really was. I spent my 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th, and 20th birthday incarcerated straight like most kids like my daughter will inevitably by the grace of god get a car on her 16th birthday you know like the dream shit you know with the ribbon yeah. and shit it's gonna be a big moment you know it's gonna be fucking crazy you know but i got you know I don't, they didn't even give me an extra piece of cake for dinner mm. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I didn't have a guard tell me happy 15th or 16th birthday. You know what I mean? You don't get a family visit. Like, I missed high school completely. I have, I have, I think I was in high school for like, I think we actually pulled the records like six weeks. You know what I mean? And then the only thing that turned that shit around for me was Bailey. I was in the revolving door of the judicial system, in and out. I knew I'd got a woman pregnant. I'm back in jail. She's pregnant. She hates me. We're not talking. I'm a bad human. She's right. I was a horrible human. And I'm sitting in there, and that guard knocks on my door May 22nd, 2008, Joe. D. Ford, it's count time. I say, what's up? He goes, you had a kid today. And he walked away. Whoa. Dude, it just, I still get emotional. It was like, it was, I don't know what kind of, it was like a Damascus Road experience in the Bible. Like, I immediately, Joe, was like, I've got to do something to change. I've got to quit this shit. Like, I gotta figure it out. Now, I'm in the violent offender gang unit of this jail. There's a sign on the door that you can sign up for an education unit, right? But nobody ever signed up for it because it's like checking in. You know what I mean? Like, 
in jail, it would be like, uh, you, your boy told the jail stories that was in here with Bobby, so you understand the lingo. It's like they put you on the door. You'd, you'd sign up for the sheet of paper so they get you out of the unit. Or if you were scared, you would sign up to get out of the unit. I'd been in there for fucking a year. I mean, uh, fucking seven, eight months, six months, seven months, playing poker every day, chilling. And immediately Joe went and signed up for that education unit and got my GED. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew that I was I was dead set on not selling drugs ever again. Because once I caught that adult felony and went back home, I'm a felon. I couldn't get no decent job. I just went straight back to the streets. I knew better than to rob people then. I didn't see no integrity in that. And at the time, I was foolish enough to think that drug dealing was a victimless crime. Right? So I was like, oh, fuck, I'll sell dope. And I got caught on a crack cocaine case. So when Bailey's born, I'm in there for a crack case. And I now see the victim side of that because fast forward, Bailey's mother ended up with a heroin addiction. And me and my wife ended up getting full custody of Bailey seven years ago. Right? So now I see the victims of these crimes now because it's my daughter. You know, I thought it was an equal exchange of goods. You give me money for a drug, I give you a drug. All that started changing in my mind right then. Went straight, got the GED, came home, started selling mixtapes out of the trunk, Joe. Wow. <laughs> I'm selling T. I started a YouTube channel. My homeboy, Chatty Bobby, Chad Arms, I love you forever. Started me a Facebook and a YouTube channel while I was in jail. Because I called him from the education unit now, like, look, we got to figure it out. I got a kid. I was like, because wow. I had a really good dad. He was a hustler. My father was a great man, but he, um, he booked bets. You know what I'm saying? He was kind of an old school gangster, you mm -hmm. know? Old Marine, he ran his family's meat business that he took over from his father, booked bets on the side. I just kind of got early. You know, I was just, that's just where I'm from. It's just what it is. So I was like, I want to be a good father, you know? And uh, to this day, of everything I'm proud of, every achievement, every accomplishment, I am the most proud of her. This kid kicks fucking ass, Joe. That's awesome. She's fucking hilarious. She, she's a comedy nerd. She is a fucking, she watches the most, she's like, She's into, like, dark, dark comedy, too. Like, she is just a little funny motherfucker, dude. You know what I mean? Like, she's just, she's been my best friend. Me and my wife had custody over seven years. Her mother sobered up. I fucking kept selling these mixtapes out of the trunk. You know what I'm saying? I'm wow. fucking, I'm hustling. I'm building the YouTube channel. I put up a thing called a 10-minute freestyle. It gets taken down because I called my PO out. <laughs> what a wild journey you've been on, man. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Like, what a, what a fucking movie. You know, it's like the opposite of the Elvis movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna like give Chat yeah, GPT. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna get skinny later in my career, <laughs> and then he got fat later. In That's his. hilarious. It's <laughs> you, like you went from the worst situation possible, other than being in jail for life, to yeah. being selling out in arenas. It's, it's wild. It's man. unreal, Joe. It's wild. What, does and it ever, does it ever like get a... overwhelming where you just can't believe it's real? <clears throat> All the time. They're, they're, they're doing a... I gotta How do you deal with it? Man, so I'm de I'm learning now to deal with, like, I'm learning to deal... I've finally got an... I've really taken therapy serious. And it's kind of helped me with my weight. I've been losing weight recently. I've been taking my health more serious because I've always had a mental thing. Like this just blockage of, like... Just this overwhelming, this cloud of sadness, you know? Mm -hmm. But I find purpose in this. So it's like, as this starts to work and as me and my daughters were like, I always felt like I wasn't going to be a good father, you know? Yeah. Now that you become a good father, you're like, man, I'm actually figuring this out. All of a sudden, dude, I, I told my wife recently, I don't think I really wanted to live until the last probably 20 months. You know, as my life came together, as me and my wife have just become my best fucking friend, dude. 
You know, you're talking about a story, dude. We're talking about a crack dealer and a prostitute, dog. You know what I'm saying? That fucking yeah. figured it out, Joe. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's like me and her joke, the night I won those awards at the CMT, I grabbed her and I whispered in her ear. I said, bitch, this is the greatest trick ever pulled. <laughs> like, like this is crazy. Like, I can't believe. I'm, a, I'm afraid I'm going to get arrested walking up there. Like, that's how I was thinking. Wow. You know what I mean? Because I was like, there's no way that this happens to people like us. When I won the third award that night, you, you see the camera, me and her talking. I'm like, I'm definitely not winning this award. There's no way I'm winning because it was the big, big one, you know? And when I won it, I just bawled crying, of course. But it's just to come from where we came from, dog, to sit here with you. I love you, man. I, dude, I know we too. just met, but I fucking <laughs> love you, dude. You've helped me so much. You know what I'm saying? Like, we laugh at you unfucking controllably, dog. You and all your homies. I. I I have so many friends that have become friends of mine that are just because I was fans and they were great that I met through this circuit of people. You know, Shab is the homie forever. You know what I'm saying? Like I'll always love Shab Schultz. Me and Schultz found each other because of my. You know, we did the song in the middle of the pandemic, and I had a publicist. My I got fired. My first publicist, Joe, and they fired me because I did a song with Andrew Schultz. I had <laughs> what? Yeah, I had a publicist for 17 seconds one time. <laughs> came and fucking hung out with Souls and did a song get dropped. What was the song? It was called Open Her Up. Now this is the middle of the pandemic, Joe. So you had a, this was perceived as being anti-COVID lockdown. I guess. Yes. <laughs> it's funny. I said, I hope Grandma Maxine gets her vaccine so That's... I can grab two bad blondes and tag team. <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious. It's and they great. dropped you for they that? They dropped me, dude. Good. Luckily, I got one now that fucking lets me be me. But... Good. They don't get it. They yeah. don't get it. Yeah, me and well, Souls in, laughed about that In forever. the moment, though, in the, that COVID fucking fever that everybody was in, the fever, mental fever, over, ah, like anything like that where you couldn't even joke around about it. Like mm. You can't even joke around about something like that? No. Come on. No, but, uh, That's it, funny. It was hilarious. Oh, dude, my verse said, uh, I hope Grandma Maxine gets her vaccine so I can bag two bad blondes and tag team. I run fast as an athlete at the track meet. Uh yeah, that shit was so good. No, we just had so much fun, dude. That's and I got dropped. I called Scholes and said, I just want you to know. I, I was my first publicist ever, too, Joe. <laughs> I didn't get another one until I got the one I got now. I was scared of them. I was like, golly. That's hilarious. And That's I so did it with a comedian. That was yeah. the best part. It's like It's not like me and fucking Ernest or Hardy or Morgan Wallen cut the song together. It was like right. me and a co- I wrote a song with a comedian that was a comedic song. You know? Like, yeah. I don't know. I just fucking whatever. But yeah, me and Schultz always laugh about that shit. That's dog. funny. It's a funny song. It's just uh, that was a weird time. You know, it just happened, and it's almost like everybody wants to forget. Yeah, <laughs> like, like we we weren't that crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was, wasn't that weird. I mean, we all understood the science. Yeah. <laughs> like, you guys just got a magic trick pulled on you. Yeah, it's sad, man. My niece got COVID. I found out this morning. She's with my wife. My wife said, uh, "Kayla's got COVID." I said, shit, I didn't know it was still here. You know what I mean? Like, it just seemed like yeah. it just kind of disappeared off my feet, at least. You know? Well, it's very mild for a lot of people that already have the antibodies. 
Yeah, I didn't people. have a problem with it, Joe. And listen, I was COVID's dream. If mm. you could write down a dream <laughs> scenario for COVID, a fucking active drinker, obese, everything that comes with how I look is there. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like only thing I wasn't was old. And man, my <laughs> wife got dog sick. She works out three times a day. My kid got dog sick. My wow. niece got dog sick. And I was walking around the house like, hello, everybody. <laughs> I was running and dropping off soup. <laughs> I was fucking wow. killing. Swear, dude. That's crazy. Three times. Everybody Do you get in the sick house normally? Do you normally get I sick? I get some sinus shit every now and then. But Well, you got to think. If you're going to get uh, a real stimulation of your immune system, I would imagine jail is a very good way to do that. Oh, yeah. Because you're around. A tour bus is the same thing. It's a submarine. Tour, same thing. God, yeah. dude. Like, Comedy clubs, bus, same thing. Oh, yeah, for sure. We're, we're all hanging around with so many people in such close proximity so often that your immune system gets tested all the time. Like, yeah. you're always... This, like call, colds go around and like when comedians get the flu they use the same microphone yeah. and they give it to other people it happens all the time yeah we were laughing about that last night too though that y'all show up just by yourself you just trust the sound man at the venue and everything yeah me, me and tony were talking about some shows and i got offered my biggest guarantee ever just yesterday and i was like no fucking way and tony was like yeah. i was like the difference is you'll fly and go pick up that money completely by yourself and i'm gonna take seven buses Ten trucks, mm. three managers, yeah. two fucking booking agents. You know what I mean? Like it's gonna fucking you know because when you when we got to put on an arena show. Um, I love the way y'all did the arenas with Dave though. I thought it was a really cool way to put on a show, but keep the production minimal, but just make it a party. Yeah, it was, those were very fun. Yeah. Those were always fun. Yeah, that shit was dope. But the DJ to me was like, that's the move. You know what I mean? Yeah, for Dave loves that. He just loves us. Segura brings DJ too. It's dope. It's a party. Yeah, yeah. It's a. It's like that's kind of back to why I brought bringing Josh on tour. I was like, how do we bring that? Because I thought about Lollapalooza again, right? I'm like, what do we? What? How can we? Like, let's bring the circus to town, dude. Like, I'm mm. a fucking. I'm a sad clown, dog. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what I do. I sing sad clown songs. Let's bring a fucking yeah. circus to town. Like, what's the wild? Let's bring Three Six Mafia. Let's bring a fucking comedian. Yeah. Let's bring Waylon Jennings' grandson. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Let's do that fucking shit. You know? Yeah. Let's figure it out that way. You know? Yeah. We'll just go out here and have a fucking party every night. You know? Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's kind of the fucking the. The dream. You was talking about dealing with the pressure, too, um, and about this story being crazy. ABC News followed me from my Red Rock show last June to my Bridgestone sellout in Nashville in December. Thousands of hours of footage, raw, full-length documentary coming out next week on the Hulu, 95-minute film. I haven't seen a piece of it. I seen the two-minute trailer, and I cried like a baby. But you talking about in the middle of this all happening, like when we first, because, dude, we came, the 22, my first show of the year was a makeup show from 21, late 21. But it was in March of 22, and it was at a 1,000 clap, thousand capacity club in Buffalo. And by the end of the year, we had sold out Red Rocks, the Bridgestone Arena, every uh, hockey arena in the South. You know what I mean? And, and Hulu caught all this shit joe wow it's and i'm I'm nervous because it's a it's an abc news thing so i don't get to like make a note you know what i'm saying they're not going to send it to me and go what do you think you know what i mean like i'm gonna be watching it with everybody fucking may 30th but i'm excited to see they were there for those moments that were just like the first time at red rocks you know what i mean like the fucking the bridgestone the juvenile the kids like this whole culmination of this shit kind of going the way it went man 
it's I, the the last seven months have been the wildest I could have ever imagined. How could you even imagine it, right? It's past what I dreamed of, Joe. It's past what I dreamed of, man. I, I'm having to make new dreams. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? My dreams were so small when I signed with. So I kept it independent, and I still am proud of this that I own 100 percent of my masters. That's awesome. Right? I have complete creative control of my deal. My, I, we are, you know, we got, I got the best deal in Nashville history to this point. Um, but because I built, the, I had a billion views on YouTube before I signed the deal. Mm. You know what I mean? So I'm coming with an already built business. You know what I mean? Right. And 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 I come into this deal. Isn't that wild? It's crazy. It is. It's back to the internet. It changed our life, dude. Changed the everything. Fucking guys like me and you could just do what we love and hit upload, and fucking it worked out. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like I'm dropping June second. We're calling it my debut country album. I've dropped 39 projects, and I'm dropping a debut album. That's how this game works. You wow. know what I mean? But I'm. The way the deal structured out and the way I come to them and I'm like, yo, just just let me and like it's different than every other artist in town. I just give them a, a record and go, this is the record. You know, like we're not I'm not playing no games. You know what I mean? Like and it's the best thing. And these these people have changed my fucking life. They found me a publicist that was not afraid of me fucking talking about doing DMT with Joe Rogan. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> country radio gave me my first hit. You know what I mean? My first actual big hit was Son of a Sinner. Um, and this all happened when I dropped Save Me. Did you ever get to hear Save Me? Yeah. Can I do a Jamie pull that up moment? Yeah. Just because this song is like, the first 12 seconds was like when I found my voice. This is how I got the Shinedown tour. Brent Smith called me from Shinedown. And he said, I was, I'm still a nervous singer. And he was like, it's one of the best vocal performances I've ever heard. And he's fucking, you know, Brent Smith to me is like top six front men in rock and roll. Period. I just remixed this too with Laney Wilson. So the album version will have be fully produced because this is acoustic and it'll have Laney Wilson on it. This is June 2020, Joe. All you gotta do, Jamie. Just, but that's the one that did it. Every label on earth called me, and I, none of them knew what. None of them understood what I wanted to do, except for Broken Bow Records and BMG. Wow. Yep. John Loba got it. He didn't hesitate. We do. I, I wrote this, shot that, recording it, and uploaded it that day. So at this time, Joe, all these labels are calling me from uh, L.A. 
and they're trying to pitch me like as a pop artist. And I'm uh, like, yo, I want to play the Grand Ole Opry. You know what I mean? I was like, we got a different thing going on here. I'm not who y'all think I am. You know what I'm saying? Like, I fucking, I want to play the Grand Ole Opry. What is, you know, pop is short for popular, right? Mm -hmm. The thing is authentic is pop. It's popular. People love it. They love it. They just don't get enough of it because they were kind of spoon-fed nonsense for so long. And it's, you know, machine-created boy bands. There was just, like, so much nonsense that was going on. Nashville did it, too. I called it the Nashville (laughs) Build-A-Bears. And it's like... (laughs) And these record labels would find the guy. Didn't even care if he could sing. They'd be like, he looks the part. They'd get him somebody that would dress him up. Somebody would write him a hit song. They'd put the bear on the hat. They'd give the the bear a guitar. They'd put the bear in front of a big country star and, you you know, than the bear scenes. It's kind saying? of amazing that nobody has figured out how to do that with comedians. Mm. Just find some needy actor and teach him yeah. how to do stand up and write all the jokes for him and take half the money. No, dude, because <laughs> because it's like there's a thing where we got to connect to you personally from there. We got to feel like you believe what you're telling us. Yeah. Right. And I think we're going back to that in music. Because listen, let's talk about the seventies and me and you love so much. Mm. They wasn't the greatest singers. No. Like hot take. But they sung from authentic. the soul, yeah, man. Authentic. And you felt like it was their story. Yeah. You know? So it's like, then we went through an era where you just, like, the song always matters more than anything. It's got to be a good song. Yeah. But we went through an era where you just kind of, it was just a song. You didn't really, there wasn't artists. That's, like, once again, why I think Zach Bryan, Hardy, Morgan Wallen, these guys in the country space that are really connecting big. Yeah. You know what I mean? Is because these dudes are writing their own songs and singing their own pain and their own struggle and like you connect to the artist and their emotion like dude if i meet james when i meet james taylor i'm gonna cry like a like uncontrollably sob like a baby because his music has done so much for me you know what i'm saying it's like you know what i mean like because i I connect these songs to him in such a way Mm. and they've meant so much to me and they've done like Fire and rain has pulled me mm. out of the darkest moments of my life. Oof. When I watched my father die, our favorite song is Fire and Rain. I watched him pass away at CLL. I'm in the room with him. The last 90 days of his life, the greatest experience ever to sit down with him every day. When he's knowing he's dying, I'm knowing he's dying, and we're just sitting there fucking having cocktails and talking at the fucking hospital. 90 days. And Fire and Rain just was like, it, it helped me as recently as then. I can tell you times it helped me when I was 16, times it helped me in jail when I was 22. Time, you know what I mean? Like yeah. this song somehow always finds me when I really need it. Like I can go to it like a, you know, like a, like an old old neighbor that gives you some good wisdom. You go knock on the door, they'll tell you something. Like I can get alone with James Taylor and have that moment. And I connect with him so personally in that way. And I think we went through an era where the artist and the music didn't connect like that. Mm. And now we're kind of sliding back into that era. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's just something about when Zach goes, um, uh, uh, to you I'm just a man. You know, it's like just something. Mm-hmm. You just look at him and go, I fucking believe you, man. Yeah, I believe him. You know? It's yeah. like when you hear me belt out, save me. Mm-hmm. You just immediately go, oh, I don't know this guy, but fuck, I feel I believe that. him. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? No, you're authentic as fuck. And, and so, Zach, and this is, it's, a, it's a great time for that. People, that is a mainstream thing now. It's not just some like weird nichey thing that gets second looks at after the popular stuff. Right. It's the most popular stuff for a lot of yeah. people, and for people, it's it's just more n- nourishing. Oh, you know, well, the, str- the you streams know are showing it now too, though. The streams are like we're seeing it happen. Like Zach Bryan was 
top two biggest country artists on earth last year, streaming yeah. wise. You know, it's like, and the radio didn't, the single didn't go to radio until after. You know what I mean? It was just so. Morgan's what Morgan's doing is just unheard of. I mean, he's mm. the king of country radio right now, the king of country music. Period. I mean, that kid is just on fire, fire. And I don't know when this comes out, but I know you're listening, Morgan, and I hope your voice is feeling better. And I love you. Yeah, he had to get some operation. I think they're just putting him on a real vocal rest before they try to. Oh, cut. that's right. That's they'll right. try to cut on you. They were worried that. Yeah. 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 They'll they'll cut on you dead last. That's the the singer's rule. Is don't let them cut on you unless you just abs- have no other choice because that's so risky. How many people have ever had their the operation? I think Jacoby, my boy from Papa Roach, did. I need to talk to him about it. He had one, and man, that dude—he's a screamer. You remember Papa Roach? I mean, yeah. you know, he, he really goes for it. And I think since he whatever he went through with his voice, he got through it. Whether it was a surgery or not, he's on the other side of it and sounds incredible every night, and still can do five shows in a row and belt. That's great. Yeah. But that would be the scariest thing. Well, to be I was telling you before the pod started that of all the unhealthy habits I have, I take the voice about as serious as I can. Mm. You know what I mean? Like I hydrate the shit out of it. I get IVs every week. I do everything. I, 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 my green room's really relaxed. You'll see it's a party. I believe the green room's a party. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it should be. And I don't leave the green room or get weird before shows except for 12 minutes before I go on stage. I'll sneak to a corner and run a scale. But just little things, you know what I mean? Yeah. But um, Morgan's also just, you know, he's working really hard, man. Doing four or five shows a week. He's the biggest artist on earth. I couldn't. I know what my schedule's like right now, and I'm fucking like a gnat on a bull's ass compared it's, to where Morgan's of, at in his for career. For a guy like that, it's kind of a balancing act, I guess. It's like you want to make hay while the sun's shining, yeah. but also, you know, maybe maybe it's just too many shows. Yeah, you know, maybe yeah. just maybe you just have to say for health's sake you can only yeah. do X amount of shows. And he might be figuring that out now. He might have just finally pushed his limit and been like, "Oh man, I I hate that the internet wasn't gentle with him." Like, what happened with Miley Cyrus? Didn't she she had a, a serious voice issue as well, right? I was just looking. Yeah, she had vocal surgery in 2019. Said she had tonsillitis. Wow. Oh. Oh, she and still had her like, tonsils. Also had something with that, but yeah, it was just, like, there's like a list of people that have had vocal surgery and like Adele had it. Uh, yeah, Steven Adele Tyler had. It. Now, you know what? I remember the Adele story because she debuted back at the Grammys. Mm. She sung at the Grammys that time, and everybody stood up and cried because there was a moment where, like, the world was worried that Adele wasn't going to be able to sing again. Right. It's a scary thing, man. I, my heart is with Morgan, not just because we're homies, but because, dude, if I wake up in the morning, Joe, and my voice just sounds something off, I panic a little bit. Like, I have a small anxiety attack. Even if it's just because I haven't drank enough water or cleared the cobwebs or fucking ended up at the mothership with Tony Hinchcliffe and got blackout drunk. Whatever, <laughs> right? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like I still have a moment where I'm like, hello, hello. You know, I just mm. know I don't sound right. So I can only imagine, man. That dude's probably petrified right now. Yeah, I can only imagine. You yeah. guys have a, a very specific instrument yeah, yeah. You know, that's part of your body. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> it's fucking wild. It's beautiful, though. And it's tiny. Yeah, it's right. fucking, I mean, it's small. You know what I'm saying? Right. When I see it on video, because I go get scoped every three months. I go get scoped every three months. Have you seen that? It's, I was just going to say, it's, it's just so interesting the different kind of sounds that people are capable of making with their mouth and their body and the, the way, the, the variation. And there's some young boy who sung at this uh, frequency that's like this in, insane frequency that's very difficult to, to reach. This young boy has this insane voice. He was on one of those talent shows, 
see if you, can you show us the video? There, watch this young boy. I mean, how old do you think he is? God, he's gotta be eight. 13. God. Mm. God. <laughs> Insane. That makes me so happy. <laughs> this guy's crying. Yeah, this judge is crying. Oh. And his eyes. God. So young. So young, but just so good. You just see it. That's incredible, right? Oh, dude. I get to, um, what what show is that on? Do you know, Jamie? I think that's America's Got Talent, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm doing the season finale of American Idol this Sunday. I'm getting to sing on it, me and Lainey Wilson. And there's a kid this year on American Idol, Joe. His name is Ian Tongi, T-O-N-G-I. He did this James Blunt cover. The I lost my father, and... He lost his recently, and his father gave him a guitar and said, just whatever you do, it's just like one of those stories, you know, 18-year-old kid. But he looks like the most Hawaiian kid ever. He's like the most gentle face, big dude, Hawaiian shirt, flip-flops, little, and he's playing a parlor guitar. So it's not a ukulele, but it's not a big guitar. It's a parlor guitar, and he's my size. You know what I'm saying? And I'm watching, and I'm hearing his story, and he's got like the deep Hawaiian voice, too. He's like, oh, thank you. You know, like like right. I have a Samoan security guard named uh, Maui um, that talks like that. He's like, oh, thank you. And then he starts singing, and it's angelic. You got it by chance, Jamie? Yeah, I, I definitely remember. I, the, the very first one he did or the one yeah. he just did? Uh, the very first one he did was okay. called, I think it was James Blunt. He did the uh, – Yeah, it almost made me – yeah, He's but really it, I just want you to see this for a second. Yeah, this has been so cool. I feel like we're just hanging out, showing each other music we, are, we like. We are. <laughs> we're just chilling. I knew this was going to be cool. This is fucking That's the cool. fun part about doing podcasts <laughs> with people like you. You just yeah. hang out. Yeah, just, just, just fucking hang and fucking chit chat. So, well, yeah. Let me, yo, let me show you this other kid. Okay, yep. started off crying. Right. But, uh, yeah, so he was just crying. Watch. Oh. Before they turn off all the lights I won't read you your wrongs or your rights Time is gone Oh I'll tell you goodnight, close the door Look at them chill ones, Joe I'll tell you I love you once more Time is gone So here it is I'm not your son you're not my father We're just two grown men saying goodbye <clears throat> No need to forget No need to forget I know your mistakes And you know mine <sighs> While you're <Oof>. sleeping <sighs> I try to make you proud So daddy won't you just close your eyes Don't be afraid my time to chase the monsters away. Oh, God. Holy shit. Crazy, right? Oh. Tear up every time, dog. 
I can only watch it once. Oh, oh my God. I'm not your son. You're not my father. We're just two grown men saying goodbye. No need to forget. No need to forget. I know your mistakes and you know mine. While you're sleeping, I try to make you proud. So, Daddy, won't you just close your eyes? Don't be afraid. It's my turn to chase the monsters away. Mm. Choked right, up the man. whole time. That's Holy right. shit. How crazy is that, Joe? Holy shit. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry I did that to us, man. Oh. No, please. <sighs> he's just fuck. so good, man. That's so good. so good. I'm like. He's 18? He's 18, dude. I'm finna meet this kid this weekend, and I'm literally to the moon about it. Holy shit, is he good? I've That's already, crazy. I've already publicly put the word out to whoever has the contractual Dang. rights to him. I want in. It's what we were talking about, man. That's authentic. Mm. I mean, that is, you, you just can't fake that. Yeah. There's no faking that. No, it's just real, man. Just raw. Holy you feel every shit. piece of it. it. It takes you to a place. Oh, my God. It tells a story. <sighs> it takes you to a place. Yeah. No, man, that's the, the voice power of too. Music. Like the, oh my God, and, and you know it's coming from him. Oh yeah, and you could hear the little times where you could hear the tears <sighs> in his throat, like that distinct sound of fucking them tears in that throat. And dude, losing my father was probably the hardest thing I ever went through as an adult. So hearing this, man, music will meet you where you are, man. Yeah, music will meet you where you are, dude. That's it what also so shows you another person. In a way that's like, how are you going to see that guy in three minutes like you see him in that song? Yeah, ever. You know? Because yeah. like it, you see a person with a beautiful voice and a beauty. Like, I don't care how crazy they are. It, 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 if they're capable of that, we know there's some, there's some good in you. Yeah. There's like, whatever you are, in, like, if you can make a song that makes everyone happy, they will look past so much. Yeah. They'll mm. look past so much. So much dude. They'll look past so much. They'll look past. Think about all the people still listen to Michael Jackson. I still listen to R. Kelly. <laughs> people still listen to R. Kelly. Hot take, hot take. And you know what I told Bro. somebody one day? I argued with him. I said, listen, man. And I might recut I Wish. I'm thinking about doing it, Josh. Oh I swear. God. Just because I'm not going to quit listening to the song if it doesn't exist. Like, that song did so much for me. Like, I know he's a horrible human. I watched all, I got all in the R. Kelly T. I watched every documentary twice. Yeah. I couldn't quit watching it. But I just, that song, I, I've just, I remember pulling out of funerals of friends who overdosed and died or were shot and killed. Chisel, one of my best friends, died in 2020, right at the beginning of the pandemic. He was shot and killed. And I remember leaving that funeral, listening to I Wish. You know, and just like that moment, I'll remember that car ride forever. You know what I mean? Like the rest of my life, I'll remember that car ride and what that song did for me in that car ride. So it's like, I don't give a fuck if you pissed on a girl or not. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm listening to the song until somebody cuts it. You know, and fuck it. Maybe I'll just what recut it. it. What are you we know? supposed to do, though? Is it, there's a, is there a, a like, there's a lot of people, like the Cosby show. Try finding that. Yeah. You can't even find it anymore. Yeah. Which is crazy for all the other people that were on the Cosby show, but also crazy for us. Because I think you kind of maybe should be able to see that stuff. Yeah. I think kind of like just removing it because you know the head guy's a crazy rapist yeah it, it's like i mean should we 
I mean, I, it's I, such I a get, hard decision. Man. I get the idea behind it, mm-hmm. but it is real and it is history. Like OJ Simpson, he's always. What about those football games? Yeah. We're supposed to ignore those? Yeah. Like, can you watch those tapes? Are yeah. you allowed to watch the tapes of the guy who probably maybe fucking yeah, yeah. might have? Man, uh, <laughs> maybe maybe, maybe did what happen? If you watch his Twitter, maybe could have something. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I, you know. I, dude, I, I, R. Kelly's the one I struggle with the most because of that one song. Yeah. And it's like, I'm just like, look, y'all, you just don't know how much the song has done for me personally. When you're a you know a 16-year-old kid carrying a casket of a friend that got shot and killed, and this song hits you in that moment of your life, you just look at it different. You know what I mean? You're just like, yo, this song has done insane as, things for And me. as many awful things as he's obviously done. Or does that negate the great things that he's done? That's right. the question. Are yeah. you allowed to w- listen to the great songs? Right. Or, you, or, or are we just boycotting it because right. it came from that? I get it. I get both sides. Yeah, I do too. But, but that one song, man, I'm hanging on to. Bro, for <laughs> me, saying? it's Real Talk. Yeah. Real Talk, that's the song. Though. Real Talk. You yeah. know that song? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You talking <laughs> Don't about Michael- you think I got enough bullshit on my mind? <laughs> Real Talk. It's like for me with Michael Jackson, it's human nature. Uh, you listen to human nature forever you know what i mean like i just i just can't god it's just god that's a beautiful song but maybe we'll get here's the thing about michael jackson here that boy that you saw that was singing this insane voice that very young boy that is going to change right that instrument's going to change and the sound's going to be different right now what michael jackson's doctor said was they had chemically castrated him Mm. And they kept him like a castrato. They kept him with that voice. I don't know if that's true. Right. But that's what his doc, the guy who killed him, the guy yeah. who went to jail for like God. anesthetizing him yeah. every night. Jesus, man. I mean, he wasn't even sleeping. He was yeah. just getting sedated. It's the the nuttiest thing yeah. of all time. Yeah. But he I, was, I think he was gone. I say know? that with singers all the time, too, though. We had a, um, my daughter writes songs, and her best friend's name is Presley. This girl's just turned 16 and can sing. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's like one of those just natural. I don't have the natural thing. I had to work really hard to learn how to sing. She's just like naturally got it. And when I was talking to her dad, I said, if she was a 15-year-old boy, I'd be worried Mm. because his nuts hadn't dropped yet. So anything you're hearing from him, I don't know how that's really going to translate when he really goes through a testosterone-style puberty. Right. You know what I mean? That voice is changing for sure where she's going to be pretty. You're you're getting a tone from her now that will be very close to her real tone. Where, like, that first kid we seen at 13, mm-hmm. now he can train his voice to always be able to sing like that. Oh, really? I would think that there's a muscle there he can work. He should be able to work up. I'm learning about it, though. I never took a singing lesson until uh, probably two months ago. Really? Right before I sang on TV at the CMTs, I went and met with a guy and took one, two lessons because I was just nervous. I'd never, you know, this is, the CMTs was like my night. It's the night I met you, two nights, the, the night that I came up to the club. Yeah, you came and, to see Ron White. Yeah, I came to see God, he killed. <laughs> Brian Simpson killed, by the way. Uh, but Brian Simpson, that one of the jokes he told that night, I still think is one of the best bits I've heard in a long time. Brian Simpson's a, he's an unstoppable force right now. Oh, dude. He's very funny. No, no. The WAP bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's one of my favorite yeah. all-time bits. The uh, what is it? I don't want to. Don't, don't mess it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we can't. But you know can't. what I'm talking. Yeah, about. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, but yeah. that shit. It was. I dude, I cried. Yeah, we talked about it. You know how you talk about stuff yeah. when you leave a comedy club. Like that's all we talked about. But I go to the CMTs that Sunday night, big time singing on you know CBS uh, performance. I'm up for three awards. I think I have a chance at one. 
I don't think the other two are possible. But we're just fucking, we're still just, we're still in the place of like, you remember Ron White's old skit, we're not supposed to be here. That's like right. our whole thing in life right now. Like everywhere we go, it's like, how the fuck did we end up here? Yeah. You know, last night I was naive enough to think I was going to go to the comedy club and just leave and nobody would know me or want to hang out. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's like fucking, you know, and I'm looking at Kill Tony like I fucking hate you at 145 in the fucking morning. Well, people were happy that you came in when uh, Ron was here too. Yeah. No, They're, they were, they were yeah. dope. We bought every mothership lighter you had. <laughs> I did, dude. I did. We bought like a hundred of them. We've just been passing them out. My oh, bus is full of orange mothership lighters. That's hilarious. But I took a vocal lesson before that performance because I wanted to make sure just I was- Just one? Mm-hmm. I took two right before I took- How do you- Wow, so- like... But he was teaching me about the scale and working up and getting my range and mm. stuff. Do you think so... you're going to continue to do that? Yeah. Yeah, so that's man. A new thing yeah, for do. sure. I've been yeah. playing a little guitar. I've always played a little guitar. Now I'm playing a little piano. Oh, I just nice. want to get better, man. I love this stuff, Joe. You can tell. It. I love it, dude. It comes out, man. <laughs> like you know, that's what we're we've been talking about. Authenticity is very. It's, it's what we want. We all want it. I don't know if you I'll know? put songs out for the rest of my life, but I can promise you, I'll write them until I die. Mm. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? There sure. will come a moment where I'll feel like maybe my time to sing them's over, but I'll never quit writing songs. Like I will write songs fucking as long as my mind you know how old people play tic-tac-toe to keep their mind sharp yeah i'll just be strumming a g just fucking writing a melody you know what mm. i mean like that's just i don't know man it tickles me i know what it can do for people I, dude i've watched me and you sit here and laugh at the fucking roller derby queen and rosie <laughs> and then cry to em tongi together in yeah. the same fucking couple hours you know what yeah, i mean like that's true. what's so cool about fucking music you know that is what's so fucking cool about music I have a, a Spotify playlist that I. Um, yeah, do you have a pre-show playlist? Ever yeah, since Cat put you I on it, I gotta that? put it out on Spotify. God, I, that's I haven't. Dope. I haven't released it. Yet. Well, yeah, let me sneak in. There but for uh, <laughs> it starts out with uh, "I'm Your Boogeyman." Is this, is this is this other half a joint? The laughing gas too. This is how. When we get into the green room. Yeah, baby. As soon as we get in the green room. Mm. It's like, it's time to go. That's it, baby. Who's got the lighter? <laughs> Ice cubes. <laughs> Showtime, 30 minutes. This is how we started off. <laughs> it's just, it's just, let's, it's time to party. Yeah. It's time to party. Mm. I like to listen to, lately I've been listening to Zach Bryant's, uh, um, which one was, Open the Gates. Open the Gate, the one on the Bull Rider? Yeah. Dude. Oh, yeah. I like to listen to that one right yes. before I go up. Ooh. Dude. Ooh. This one's, this is an, all of his shit is authentic, but this one is like, it's deeply ingrained in the rodeo riders fucking widows mm. and just god you ever listen to cody johnson no cody johnson is a cowboy cowboy he mm. rode bulls um keep it going yeah play that pimpin pimpin i want to hear this Son of a cowboy came to claim his daddy's right and 
He's riding the bull that killed his father. God, dude. Jesus Christ. It's like that Jim Croce shit. Like, who's writing that song besides Zach Bryan? Jesus Christ. (laughs) He's riding a bull named To Hell I Go. He's riding a bull that killed his dad. Fuck. Oh, my God. Mm. I love them old fucking rodeo records, man. Zach and Cody Johnson are the two that I think have done it. The I got to get into Cody Johnson. You got to, man. He's a Texas guy, too. I'm going to write this on my phone right he's now. He's one of the sweetest humans on earth, man. Give me some Cody Johnson. He's got a song called Dear Rodeo. Is this Dear Rodeo? Yeah. Oh, no, it's Tell You Can't. It's yeah. Big Smash. Hold on. Will you play Dear Rodeo right quick? Because sure I think Joe, because this will touch Joe. So let me just give you a little backstory because I love stories with songs. Cody Johnson has a documentary on Amazon Prime that is about his, he tried to go be a professional bull rider. And he fell short, right? And uh, and he wrote this song as a grieving to the rodeo. What's the name of this song? Dear Rodeo. Dear Rodeo I'd be lying if I tried to tell you I don't think about you After all the miles and the wild nights that we've been through Lord knows we had a few Dear Rodeo I'd like to say that I took the reins and rode away Fucking heartbreaking Wow No regrets, no left unsaid Just turn the page Oh, but you know better, babe Between the almost atoms and broken bones so dear rodeo wow and it's got this crazy build up he did a remix with reba mcintyre wild culture man whenever we were in vegas there was like a bunch of ufcs and other things that i did in vegas where the rodeo was in town and you just see these bull riding motherfuckers walk through they got a different kind of swag different kind of swag they got that fighter swag yeah a hundred you know what i mean that kind of just like what who who fucking wants it you just see it in their eyes yeah they're riding bulls that's not a regular person they're riding giant 2,000 pound angry animals with huge dicks and big balls <laughs> that don't want you riding them. For sure. Don't the want you on. What the fuck are you yeah. doing? You're on Why my back. Why are you fucking with me? <laughs> you imagine sure. you can't believe it. So a human would stand in front of you, yeah. right? You're a 2,000 pound <laughs> wrecking machine. And this dumb motherfucker wants to ride your back? Yeah. Yeah, and the best part is when you fall <laughs> off and try to hit him, there's another dumb motherfucker in clown paint. Just imagine how crazy humans are. Before I light my weed, I will admit publicly that your weed was better. <laughs> Do you have... <laughs> 
So it's, we I have didn't have more than I Joey Diaz. I wish, yeah, if you got some more of that, because oh, I, yeah. I didn't get to bring the actual. I'm, I'm doing a cannabis company in Michigan right now called Bad Apple, but I, I couldn't figure out a way to get it because the bus was already here from Dallas because we was in Dallas for the ACMs two days ago. When you're traveling that much, man, <laughs> the bus has to be, like, comfortable, right? You have to, like, make it your own. You oh, guys got, like, it all set up for, like, satellite and uh, all that shit. I can't wait for you to come hang out on it. It's the crib. <laughs> oh, you it got it the, set up. Oh, dude. I got that Elon Musk satellite. Oh, Whatever nice. that Elon Musk shit is, I hooked it up straight to the back of that bitch. That, so you can get internet. Oh, yes. High speed. I play video games on there. Really? Yes. And we par- wow. I got, the, I got the, the triple pop out so it gets fucking living room size in there. It's I live on that. I spend, you can play video games. Yes, off of that dude. I spend I spend a hundred and probably fifty days a year on that bus. This is the least shows I will have ever done because I'm playing the biggest venues I've ever played. You know what I mean? But it's like I'm normally like a road warrior, and even then, I'm just never at home. I'm just we're just always something. I, I think I'm gonna sleep in my bed three nights in the month of May. Mm, God, the two damn, of them dude. were just two nights ago. That. But that wild ride that you're on, like, you could stay on it as long as you want and do it as crazy as you want, right? Right. Yeah. And with you owning all your masters and being, you're in a great position, man. Nah, dude, it's bad. So exciting. Yeah. I, I can't wait to nerd out about the business of it off camera. It's been great. <laughs> it's yeah, been no, fucking, I'm sure. I mean, I'm it's sure. been, it's just been, like I said, my dreams were too small. When I met with that record label, Joe... They said, what do you want? I said, well, I'd like to be written about in my hometown newspaper. Because I've never <laughs> been written. This is like my request. I got a billion YouTube views. And I'm like, and uh, I was like, and I'd like to play the Grand Ole Opry. And the reason I signed with that label is because it's the first label I met with when I said the Grand Ole Opry, they didn't laugh at me. Mm. Like the people in L.A. was like, but we could get you a, you know, I won't say the artist's name. We could get you this artist feature instead. I was like, I want to play the Grand Ole Opry, man. Y'all think, because they kept thinking I wanted money. I had a fucking billion YouTube views, Joe. I didn't need money. I was fucking, we were okay. You know, the Weiss podcast was bubbling. Like, we were cool. I didn't want your money. Can you get me to the Grand Ole Opry, and can you get my local paper to write about me? Because I'm trying to do some things in the community here, but I'm fighting a lot of struggles, you know? And they were like, no problem. Debuted at the Grand Ole Opry that year. Six months after I signed the deal, I stood on that Opry stage. Boy, cried. You know how you got all the mug shots out here? Yeah. I wore... Uh, my Opry debut, I wore a denim that said Music City Outlaw on it. And on the back was Jerry Garcia's mug shot when he caught, caught with that heroin down in New Orleans. And he's just all Jerry Garcia out, just smiling, and just fucking, you know, just Jerry and out, you know. And I wow. put that mug shot on the back for my grand old Opry debut, dude. Wow. <laughs> I was like, fuck yeah, I'm bringing fucking, I'm bringing him with me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm, I'm bringing the dead, baby. <laughs> Do you think that, like, I think now, People like a uh, redemption story now more than ever. Yeah. I think people are more aware of all the factors that lead to someone getting incarcerated now than ever. Right. And I think they're more understanding of the hopelessness of the <laughs> system now than ever. Right. So when a guy like you breaks through and becomes a giant star after this crazy past, like that, that I mean, that opens up the door for a lot of people. Yeah. It opens up the door for a lot of people to realize, like, it's not a death sentence. Like, mm. You can get your life together. And even though at this stage of your career, as crazy as it sounds, you're still getting turned down for living in the community. Yeah. No, I'm still. I got a meeting with our governor coming up shortly. Yeah, that's it. I wish it would show the back of it. But 
Look at me. That's me up there. Just boy. I mean, that's the holy grounds, Joe. I'm standing in the the circle of the Grand Ole Opry right there, man. First time ever. Wow. A rapper from Antioch. I, dude, the story I said that night was I I I, uh, I grew up 15 minutes away from there, but it took me 37 years to get there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? You know. It's, that's funny. Yeah. Wow. A, you know, just, 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 and that right there, and that ever since then, I told my label, Jonathan Loba, Joe Jamie, Adrian Michaels at the label, I'll never, I'll never leave y'all, man. I'm with y'all forever. You were man of your word to me. You know what I mean? That's awesome. And the deal's already fucking incredible. The deal can't get no better. You know what I'm saying? I, yeah. I squeezed the booger out of that quarter. It's over. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I got all they're going to give. You know, so it's like, I don't know, man. I think the redemption too is just people, like the relatability, like drugs are different. Like, we now know how pain pills have led to heroin addictions, yeah. right? And that 11 people an hour overdose and die in the United States of America, Joe. They think that number will be closer to 14 or 15 by the end of this year. An hour overdose and die. I'm not trying to stand on no high horse here or start a war, but I promise you if 11 chipmunks an hour were dying in Wisconsin— it would only last a few days before people were out there picketing and protesting and trying to figure out how to keep the chipmunks alive, for sure, mm. you know? But we look at drug addiction or used to as a personal problem. I'll just quit doing them, right? you know? And we just were so, we didn't have no compassion for, you know, and now we're starting to see that when I write these songs about drug addiction and the pain and suffering, it's a real thing now. Now people are like, yo, I feel that. Like, I feel that. I relate to that. Like, I know I had a song on my new album. It's called She. And it's She Was the Life of the Party. Uh, um, could see the sunrise in her eyes before the cold November rain. And if you only knew her smile, you never noticed she's in pain. And it's uh, about a woman. My thing is, everybody knows a she. Everybody knows a he now. Mm-hmm. When you hear that song, you're like, oh, no, I actually know her. You, like, relate to it in that way. And it, it used to not be that way. So I think that's another thing that redemption's coming around is that it's gotten so out of hand that people, plus, fuck, who doesn't want to see a guy win every now and then? Jesus, yeah. I fucking, this is a loser winning, dog. Like, I'm a loser <laughs> fucking winning. You know what I'm saying? Like, they let a fucking loser win. Like, that's fucking awesome. You know what I'm saying? I'm fucking smoking weed on the Joe Rogan show hungover. It's, it's an American <laughs> success story. Yeah. yeah really, this is American is. as fuck. Yeah, for that's sure. That's American as fuck. That's what America's supposed to be about. For everybody. For everybody, but it's like that's the real problem. Right? Like, how do how do we make it f- way fairer? Right. Uh, hopefully, I meet with the governor and I can figure out my my felonies, and hopefully, I get a pardon from him. Well, that would be beautiful. But more important than the pardon to me is I want to try to see a policy change in Tennessee about juveniles. That's my big goal. Is that I think that as a juvenile offender, you should the felony should only stick with you the length of the sentence. Mm. So, like, even if you if you committed a murder, which is a heinous crime, and you get 30 years, and you go do your 30 years in prison, because at 15, you can still come home at 42. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? The kid should be able to have a path to figuring that out when he gets home. You know what I mean? Besides just being stuck with this felony forever. Yeah. Like you said, this can't be an end-all, be-all. This has to be a case-by-case basis. 100%. You know what I mean? Like, And I just want to do, like, selfishly, yeah, I want to get my felonies expunged, because I hate that I can only go bow hunting you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. you know I, can't, I hate little things that are just like fuck that sucks that i can't do thousands of things but more important than me ever not i've had a felony for so long whatever but can we do something to help these future kids man where they don't have to go through this like can we start making some decisions now can we can, can we start instituting rehabilitation instead of discipline into the juvenile system yeah 
like that's what the conversations I really want to have. You know, that's yeah. the shit I really want to talk about. Because when I was in there, we didn't have a mentor. Nobody cool like me ever showed up and gave us nothing. You know what I mean? Like it was discipline. It was like jail. I'm a 15 year old kid getting treated like a real prisoner, and I know what I did was wrong. Man, I was 15, Joe. I needed a hug. Yeah. I didn't need a cell. I needed right. somebody to love me. I needed somebody to explain to me what a fucking pill addiction was. I needed somebody to, you know what I mean? I, this is what I needed. You yeah. know what I mean? I didn't need that other shit. Sorry to go back on that fucking rant. But every no, time but, I think about that But felon, that's important because you're the only person that can tell that story. Right. You know, that's your story, and it's an important story. Yeah. And it's also a story where you realize, like, as you see yourself now, a successful artist, like, you were always this person. You could always achieve this thing that you've achieved. Why'd you have to go through hell? Like, what right. what what causes people to have to go through hell? To before we all realize, like, how many people are going through hell? Why don't we figure out a way to manage this better? Yeah. Why don't we figure out a way to help the people that are disenfranchised in a real way, right. not just like like a re, like figure it out? Like, there's got to be someone. If you had if you had a budget. Oh, like billions of dollars. If you had, that didn't, nothing even came out. That seemed like a fake joint. I think I might have tightened up up top. God damn. Looks it. like it ain't ripping. It was ripping though. All right, whatever. That weed taste. I don't. Need I it. wish. That's I the wish they could me taste this fucking pot. I know. It's ridiculous. What were we just talking about? A budget. Uh, I don't remember my point at all. If I had a budget to go to the juvenile kids, I'd focus it all on trades. I think my my idea was, if you had a budget, a, a, an enormous amount of money that would go to a company that could figure out how to take all of the communities that have traditionally been very poor and crime-ridden and fix that, mm. and you would get an enormous sum of money, like billions and billions of dollars, right. would be rewarded to right. all, uh, uh, someone who could engineer like a an ethical philanthropic venture to rejuvenate all of the fucked up areas in this country. Yeah. You know how much crime you would prevent? You oh, know how much you fuck. could change the world? You could change the world. You could change the world. Yeah, for if, sure. If someone figured out how to do that and engineered <laughs> that. You could try it in one city, try it in Detroit. Just yeah. moving into Detroit. For sure. Revitalize Detroit in some insane way. Right. Watch it boom. Yeah. Detroit used to be one of the richest country, or rich, richest cities in the country. Yes, oh, it was huge. It used to thrive well, during the big God. time still, days of muscle cars. It's still cars. my top four places to play in America, by the way. They're fun people. Oh, dude, Michiganders in general, <laughs> and the weed up there is fire. That's why we did our cannabis company up there first. Yeah, I wanted to go somewhere where you had the greenhouse. You know what I mean? To yeah. Try to break the ground that way because you know the shit ain't coming off the side of a mountain anywhere. Left of Colorado most of the time. The thing about Detroit as a city that's really wild is you get to drive around and see these buildings that don't have no windows, just yeah. just shells of buildings that used to be filled with people working. Yeah. You're like, well, this is like some Mad Max shit. Yeah. Like, it's very unusual in that respect, like, that there's so many buildings that are like that. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a place warped in time. Have they cleaned any of that up? Yeah. Did they? Yeah, I think they had a guy that whoever... I don't think they should have. Yeah, who is that? Jane Gilbert, the guy Quicken Loans. Yeah, Quicken Loans. And there's yeah. a couple other companies that moved in there, like StockX is that big uh, yeah. shoe company. Oh, they were like, so they're they were like, yeah, yeah, they're yeah. bringing they're bringing downtown Business. Detroit back. 
Is that really? is that the story that's happening, Jamie? So yeah, like they, I've seen a few tours of there where they're showing their plans for things. He's definitely not the only person in there. I don't want to put it that way, but he's one of the bigger ones. That's and a awesome. A few other people have moved into town to making development. I don't know. I haven't been there. I, I kind of wish they would leave the fucked up buildings though. Yeah, because there's oh, something yeah. about them. There's that's character kind of, to them. There's character to them, but it's also like this is this weird piece of history that I think destroying it. I mean, it's a. It's not like the pyramids, don't get me wrong, but there's something historic about the remnants of the boom and then the bust. Right. There's mm. something about yeah. this this shell of a building. Yeah. That's like, man. Yeah. I never thought of it that way. Yeah. That it shows that, because that was the boom boom, too. Yeah. Right? It's weird. Those buildings were weird. Yeah. When I was driving around and looking at them, is that and what they like used a, to look like? Before and after, yeah. Like. Old, what they turn it into? Really old factory into like a. They turn it into factory. a fucking. This is a rendering of what this place looks like. This is an article that says like, "What will Detroit look like in 2033?" It'll look like a Chipotle. Why? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> everything looks like Chipotle. <laughs> oh, everything. Oh, no There's something about like, didn't um, the Top Gear guys? They went to Detroit, and I think they bought a house for like $5,000 or something crazy. Oh, yeah. It might have been less than that. Uh, there was a, definitely a time period you could buy one for a couple hundred dollars. God. <laughs> See, if, like, the Top, <laughs> gear, the, to, the top yeah. gear guys actually did it. Um, I guess it's yeah, they like bought a house for like $5,000 or something. 2200 bucks. <laughs> 2, well, it, says, bucks. Hold on. it says, did they really? Let me see. If oh, did they really? Oh, is it yeah. like, did Snopes fact check them? This isn't Snopes, but it's like a Detroit blog asking. Oh, is it a lie? Not quite 2018, but in 2009, this Buzzfeed, rep BuzzFeed reporter bought a house in Motown at the Live County auction for just $500. Oh, so this was God. an auction house, which that, that happens yes, everywhere. It's but still fucking 500 insanity. bucks. Right? <laughs> 500 bucks? Golly. Yeah. For a house. You can get a good old bag of laughing gas for that. I mean, how bad does everybody want to get out of that neighborhood? Yeah, sure. I mean, how bad does someone want to get out of the neighborhood? They'll well, the sell best part is the house they bought on Top Gear, which that's a solid house. Yeah, not, not a bad, bad house. Nice house. How much was that house? Uh, that's that says twenty two hundred bucks. Okay, twenty two hundred dollars. Wow. That is insane. So let's see the pictures. Claims instead. Oh, yeah. They claimed. Look yeah. at the house. Oh, that's probably why. There's some holes in it. Whatever, whatever. Probably rats. It's kind of a hole. Yeah. Uh, yeah that's but still, yeah. 500 bucks? Yeah, you like, could If you were a, a young, single guy, you could sort that house out. Yeah, you could figure that out. Yeah. 100%. It's that, that's an old-ass house, too. Do you see the way the uh, they have the it's pre-wallboard? It has those slats mm. and all that shit in between the slats. Yeah. See that? That's an old-ass house. So what are the, what's that era then? The 20s, probably? Yeah, see how that is? The 20s. Yeah. Well, that, maybe that's not. I had a building we used on Music Row for years that was like a 1922 building or something, and it was just big and just fucking concrete. That just solid fucking concrete, dog. And all mm. the rooms were kind of tiny and low ceilings, Whoa. but it was right on Music Row, historic Music Row, and it was right behind the bar Losers, which is where all the songwriters in town go to drink in Red Door. So we, I was like, it's perfect. This is primetime real estate, really. We'll just fucking turn this into multiple studio rooms, and we go to the bar and get drunk and just, like, corral writers. You know, like, hey, let's all go back down the alley to the spot. That's the cool part. You ever been down Music Row in Nashville? Not really, no. So it's like a little circle, and every label's there, every publisher's there. It's like, you know, whatever. And there's like a little strip of bars offside of it that we all fuck up. And you just, these dudes in town, these songwriters, I admire them so much. I'm jealous at times. 
all day long. It's like just like fucking orgies of writing songs. They're just fucking each other. They're just going room to room. They'll do two hours in this room, then go down the street and do another one. And they're just fucking playing musical chairs and just writing songs all fucking day long. Wow. And then they go out when they write their last one at like five to the bar, and then they just talk about writing songs until they get drunk enough to go write another one at midnight. You know what I'm saying? It's fucking, wow. it's crazy. And these dudes are coming to town like sleeping in their car to figure it out. So it's like, uh, it, it, how, how long has that been around for? I don't know when it actually started, to be honest. Now, I know that, I guess as long as music's been happening in Nashville, you know. I'm telling you, being an artist in the town and writing your own songs is still rare. Like, it's still not a lot of artists that come out of Nashville, Tennessee, that are actually in the room writing their songs. Mm. So much more of that happens. That's why I call it the Build-A-Bear. So much more of that happens than you know. You know, and these these songwriters, dude. Now, I'm just like a fan of the grind, so I love writing with them. You know what mm. I mean? Because I just think it's fucking sick that they just, they these dudes eat, breathe, slip, shit, fucking songwriting. That's it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Wow. Yeah, it's kind of like last night. Like, I watch dudes do comedy and then talk about comedy. These dudes yeah. write songs all day to go to the bar and talk about the songs they wrote and play them for each other. How many of them are there? I'd say... Uh, hundreds that actually have a publishing deal that are getting a draw every month and getting put in rooms. And I'd say thousands that are just in town trying to figure it out. Tens of thousands even maybe. Wow. But there's hundreds who are actively somehow, because it's like any other thing. You'll come in as a young artist and you've never wrote a song, right? Or you can write a song. You go to a publishing company and go, hey, look, this is something I wrote. And they go, okay, we'll give you $23,000, $24,000 a year. We'll give you $2,000 a month as a draw. Recoupable. And then we'll put you in writer's rooms for a 50-50 split of your publishing. It's a horrible deal, by the way. The music business was meant to make everybody money but the artist. It's fucking wild. But when you're a fucking 22-year-old kid chasing your dream, it's an incredible deal. It's fucking the, it's the chance, you know? Mm. So you go ride out your first deal for two years and take it on the chin and write some hits, hopefully, and get in the right rooms. And then you can kind of negotiate the terms going into term two. You know what I mean? But mm. these kids are just coming in like just you getting picked. My dude, Zach Crowell, huge comedy fan. He's here with me now. He um, produced my album. Zach Crowell got his first publishing deal and drew, I think, 24 grand a year. And like at that time of his life, he needed it. Like he was counting on it. Like I remember a time where he was going to re-up his deal and he was nervous. He was like, yo, Jelly, I don't know. You know, it's 15 years ago, 12 years ago. He's like, I don't know if they're going to let me come back. I haven't produced nothing. They gave him one more year, and he produced Sam Hunt's first album. Wow. Anyways, he's went on to have 30 number ones at country radio or something crazy. Fucking unbelievable guy. But, you know, he was in a place where he doesn't look back at it bitter about the deal. But he's still, you know, because he's like, man, I needed that. But he still is like, you know, like every other artist. Once you get out of it, you're like, damn, this system is fucked up, though. You know, the record labels are even more fucked up. You know how that works, right? They take, let's say, um, that's why I don't take money from labels. Let's say we have a 50-50 deal, Joe, and I give you a million bucks. And then I say, all right, cool. Now, every dollar that comes in, I'm going to take 50 cents of it as a record label because that's my 50 cents. And then I'm going to put your 50 cents against the million dollars that you owe back. Now, I didn't go to school or nothing, Joe, as you know from my story. But that don't sound like a good deal, man. I don't know a lot about interest rates, but that sounds like a fucking 50% interest rate on money, dude. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, and that's why I stayed independent. 
I knew nothing, Joe. I was uneducated. Is that a real deal? That's a listen. How about that's a good one? Really? It's fucked up, Joe. There are dudes in my town that are in ninety tens with the label getting ninety and them getting ten right now. <gasps> right now, millions of dollars in debt to the label and giving them thirty percent of their show money as well. Wow! Right now, and had multiple number ones at radio. Holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> it's, the oh. business is wild, man. That's but crazy. there's also guys, you know, but the amount of times that that's changed somebody's life, it's such a weird game to play. Because mm-hmm. from the label perspective, now you look like how many times have they dumped money into an artist that didn't do anything that they just lost and tried? You know what I mean? That the mm-hmm. label's already down. And then this other guy, how many, you know, this, a lot of these guys needed it. That's why my deal worked out so great because I didn't really need the deal. You know what I mean? It was like, it was like this thing, like, I want to do, you know what? It's very nostalgic of you and Spotify. You didn't need the deal. But y'all were flirting around, and it made sense. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. like, I didn't need the deal. You know what I mean? And it's like, but we flirted around and met with everybody, and I met a company that it really made sense with, and it changed my fucking life. Country radio changed my life. 100%. The internet started, like, brought attention to it, and then country radio just sent it into the cast, you know, just somewhere totally different. Is country radio the last real influential radio? I would say so, because is pop is like where's rock radio? Is that does I'm, that? Still, I got. I've had a hit on rock radio too. It's it still moves the needle. But does is that popular? Like how many people are listening to like FM rock? Hundred percent market dependent. I believe there's probably a few markets. You probably yeah. definitely mm-hmm. know this, but there's yeah. a few markets where rock radio does well. Yep. But, but like, a lot it, of people are using Spotify or sure. Apple yeah. Music. And you have or to get some of the playlists. Streaming. That's a whole different room. Well, playlisting's the new radio. New radio. Yeah. And my my deal, Spotify, all, every streaming platform has been good to me especially when I got with BMG because they have good relationships. So once I started getting country radio and I started getting like playlisting, because here's another thing. Not everybody understand wants to take the time to curate their music. They want to find good music, but they don't have time to go find it or curate it. And playlisting is a way around that, just like radio was. That's how you found music. Now TikTok is a place where people find music. And the, the first of all, we're in the golden era of all this shit, Joe, because you can find good shit everywhere. It's everywhere. Everything I touch on my phone just feeds me shit. You know what I mean? At a rapid pace. So that changed everything. But once I started getting real playlisting and real radio love and started like when CMT, I, I swept that night. Fucking the fucking low the loser won, son. I won the big one. I'm back there. I started drinking before the last award, Joe. I didn't think I was gonna win. <laughs> so I was sitting there with my wife, the first two had went by, and I was like, yo, I have no chance of winning this one. So I'm not drinking. I'm like, drink I'm drinking like this is what I tell people. I've never been on TV before. I was gonna act like it. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? You know what I'm it's like I'm not, I'm not too prideful to come in here and walk around with Jamie for 30 minutes going, holy fucking shit. You know what I'm saying? It's mm. like I'm fucking I'm I'm enjoying the fuck out of this. You That's know? It's beautiful. It's like I look forward to coming back next time just as a homie. But the first time I'm walking in here like, this is my fucking dude. This is crazy I'm sitting in here, you know? But I'm in there fucking the night. Everything just starts changing, dog, and then we're fucking rolling, baby. And now we're doing American Idol, finna drop a Hulu documentary and an album. It's fucking weird. <laughs> All in the next, like, 30 days. As long as you're just enjoying the ride, man. I'm having a ball. That's beautiful. Fuck, your club will tell you. They had to escort yeah. me out in a nice way, in a very friendly, where, where you don't know where you are kind of way. Yeah, they in the, breakfast. Yeah. Well, no, they said, uh, Tony and them were still there when I left. 
um, the funny part oh was I'm, I, the best part was they escorted me out in a way that they could just tell I was lost. I love your club. It's a maze. It's a I know you spot. get it, but yeah. I, I'm still second time there tonight. I hope I'll get the full gist of it. Mm-hmm. But when I popped in the green room last night when David Lucas took me there and I seen where it was, I was like hidden in plain sight. It was insane. You know what I mean? Everything about us, just fucking the thought of that whole place is – me and Zach Crowell left, and our first conversation was we're opening the music mothership in Nashville one day. Oh, that would be beautiful. Just a place where, like, dudes – like, singer-songwriters can come mm-hmm. and just do their songs and kind of work crowds and fucking – Yeah, Because it's idea. so comic-friendly. Like, all of the singer-songwriter spots in Nashville are legendary, but because they're old school and legendary, they're not, like, comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like when you play the the legendary Bluebird, you gotta hope that the hair salon next door will let you use it for a green room. If not, Bluebird don't have one at all. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm wow. saying? It's great, but it's like the most legendary songwriter spot in Nashville. But it's been that since the you know fucking 40s or whatever. So that's like the small clubs that like comics rely on those too. Yeah, who rely on places that are you know like a 200 seat club. Yeah, we do exactly. So. We do a lot of singer-songwriter nights in town where these dudes that write all these hits will go play them for the town, kind of. You know what I mean? And it's mm-hmm. like you know, it's like this really cool thing that happens in Nashville. We still do like writers' rounds where four dudes will set a stool up on a stage. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, there we go. Writers' rounds. Yeah. And you'll just sit around and like that intimate of a setting, you know? And there might be one artist in there, but every one of those dudes have wrote multiple number ones. Wow. You know, it's so cool to see, man, because you'll just have a dude that doesn't look the part, and he'll be like, hey, I wrote this song, and you know, and, and oh. then he'll play Live Like You're Dying for Tim McGraw, and you're like, holy fuck. Oh, wow. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's cool. It's that really cool. cool. You, when you come to town, we got to do it. I got to go show you the fucking- I would love. We'll go to a writer's round. They're fucking chill. They're, they're cool. That's badass. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, and they're just all jamming. It's just a bunch of dudes in there with guitars, and they're singing each other's shit. We got this thing we do tonight called Bottom of the Barrel. With that Brian Simpson hosts, and there's little the the audience is write like a topic yeah. on a little piece of paper, oh, shit. and then we put it in a whiskey barrel, and, <laughs> and you reach in and uh, just grab a subject and just start riffing. Oh shit! So everybody, it's all off. Is the that cuff. what they're doing in the uh, what are We're they doing that in little boy tonight? In the little boy tonight, yeah. right? And you're in the fat man. Yeah, I'll be in Dope. that one too. I'm gonna okay. do the other one too because that uh, that's one of my favorite shows. Stupid, so stupid question, but he I'm gets a, he gets so silly. Yeah, it's just so silly. Some of the it's oh just, yeah, because it's you, very fun. Oh yeah, because the cool thing about comedian fans is they're there for the humor, so they're trying to be witty too. So they're writing topics, trying to stretch wild. I bet there know? is, but then there's some good ideas. Yeah. Some of them are just like good subjects. Yeah. You know, it's, it's fun. They're, 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 now people know what it is too, so they're comedy fans that show up and they're they're interested in coming up with a funny suggestion to put in there. I I, I hate to be the guy that always par- <laughs> Schultz hates when I do it, but I always compare entertainment to comedy because I see so many, I see so I see more resemblances in co- comedy than I do any other area. Like I've done a little acting and I don't really see that. I see the art. I respect all art, but like the connect, like even down to like the culture that comedians create like mm. musicians real good musicians create culture before they create songs you know what i mean because good yeah. songs come out of good culture like i bet good jokes come out of good culture you know what i mean so it's like we have a just at one of the coolest things i'll think about forever now is me getting to show you what a writer's round was mm. you know what i'm saying because yeah. that's our culture like for me it's fucking like for you it's like what i got to see last night at the club was the wildest shit i've ever seen except for a josh wolf show mm. you know what i mean backstage it's like 
that's how but it's what y'all do every night at y'all's culture like we just yeah, sit around and riff a, songs you know that's a, that shows a kill tony is a giant part of that culture because it's such a rare opportunity for people to get on stage some of them the first time they've ever been on stage and they're on stage at kill tony they just have this wild idea that they can do it they put their name in a hat yeah oh. and next thing you know they're on stage telling jokes that they yeah. were like telling themselves in front of their mirror a yeah. couple of nights ago yeah and in front of fucking 300, 400 people or something like that. And then hundreds of thousands of people download Oh, yeah, literally. And, and watch it on YouTube. <laughs> so it's like, a, what a crazy spot to be in. And yeah. then you're getting roasted, and David Lucas is roasting Tony, and yeah. it's like, holy shit. It's a circus, man. And William Montgomery. He's so funny. That dude is so fucking funny. It's just I such a great I seen that night show. at the Ron White joint, and uh, it, like, I instantly got him. Because he's yeah. so he's so spazzy at first, you have mm -hmm. to catch it. But I instantly was like, "Oh, I get it. This guy's fucking great." Yeah, I don't want to say his joke, but he has one of my absolute favorite jokes. I'll tell you later. <laughs> I'll remind myself. But uh, yeah, it's it, we're we got a nice thing going on. It's fun. It's fun, and everybody seems to be getting better. It's really people are enjoying it. Yeah, man. Iron sharpens iron. You want to be a good dancer, dance a lot. I think that's true. I think there's there's no other way. I mean, you you need to do other stuff too. You need to write. You need to think. And you need to listen. You need to watch things and read things, and think about stuff a lot. But you gotta get up there all yeah. the time. Like yeah. there's no if ands or buts about it. There's no other way to do it. And it's the only way as a comic you ever come up with new shit. Oh yeah. Same thing in songwriting. We'll uh, if I take some time off writing songs, like between an album cycle, I'll go back and get with the writers for a couple of weeks before I even start writing songs that I'm gonna consider. Just because for the, for the fact that I hadn't wrote one in just 12 weeks sometimes. Mm. I just know I'll go in the room stale. But like uh, Chris Stapleton said on your pod, as a songwriter, I'm always writing songs, though. I put three titles on my phone a day. It's my rule. Mm. Bare minimum. Sometimes more. But even if it's just like a quick song title, you know, me and Jamie were talking about it. Sometimes I'll write a song from top to bottom. Me and Ashley McBride got to write on my album. Um, she's incredible. And she writes from top to bottom sometimes, which I think is gangster. When you just pick up a guitar and go, where are we going? Hey, who's here? You know what I'm saying? How about this? You know, and it's just like, like you're just fucking letting it land where it lands. You know, wow. that's fun. But more often than not, I've write from the perspective of like, yo, I got a concept. Here's my idea. So I'm always putting them on my phone, but I'm still dull when I get in a room if I hadn't done it in a while. Mm. You know what I mean? If I hadn't wrote in six, seven weeks, dude, I'll feel it the first time I try to go write a song. Because one of my artists' homies will call, hey, man, come help on the album. Because we do that. You know, we'll try to show up for each other. And I'll show up and just put on a lay an egg the first couple days. You know what I mean? I'll just be in there getting stoned, wasting time. You know, and then the third day I'll be like, oh, okay, I got my, I got my timing back. We'll figure it out. So is it like a like a frequency you have to latch on to? Yeah, it's just there's like um, my dude calls it the egg on the spoon. So put the egg on the spoon, right? And then I'm like, I got a great idea. Me, you, and Jamie are the three writers in a room, right? We all agree it's a great idea. All right, cool. The egg's still on the spoon then. Now we got to put a melody to it or start with a couple of chords. Well, we know the, there's only, you know, 12 notes in music. Finding the chords is easy. That's why Ed Sheeran just won that lawsuit. You know what I mean? You just pick, start fucking with the chords. Okay, that chord progression's cool. Egg's still on the spoon. Now we got to come up with a melody. Now we got to come up with the, how do we get the melody to this? Pre-chorus, first verse, intro, outro, keeping the egg on the spoon. And then the scary part is, even if we do our job in this room, we write a fucking banger, Joe. We got to hand the egg and the spoon to the producer. You know what I'm saying? Mm. You know, and now he's got to go in there. And sometimes he'll drop the egg, you know, or sometimes the egg gets dropped somewhere early, you know. But just And then after that, it goes into 
how are you going to market it and put it out and stand out at a time where, you know, 50,000 songs a week are getting uploaded or something crazy? You know what I mean? The egg's still on the spoon. You know what I'm saying? It's fucking wild. We call it the egg on the spoon. And there's two different types of people doing it. There's guys like you who write their own stuff. And then there's other guys that are writing stuff for other people. And then other people are just performing only stuff that people have written for them. Yeah. It's a different thing. It's a wild thing, man. It's a different thing, right? Mm -hmm. It's like um, they're both great. Yeah. Some great songs come from the other way. Right. They're great, like all-time classics. But I like it when I know the, the person singing it wrote it. Right. I like too. it. Yeah. That's what just, I like. Especially when it feels personal. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like I love that um, – yeah, I just love that anytime there's that, and I. But I, I'm cool either. I, 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 I don't want to. I used to say this word before; it was a hot word. I identify as a songwriter above everything. You know what I mean? Like yes. I'm always like when you if if I'm at a grocery store and some sweet old woman goes, "You know what do you do?" Immediate, uh, no hesitation. I'm a songwriter. That's what I think I'm the best at. You know what I mean? Like right. that's what I think. Like I think we strip you down to your core. You're a comedian. Yeah. Right. The fact that all this other stuff works and you're great at it is cool. But like at core, I think Joe Rogan is a comedian. Like I look at Jelly Roll as a songwriter. So I I love what these dudes are doing in town. It's just not for me to not sing a song I didn't write on. Now, well, I have you, no problem bringing different, in another different, writer. Yeah. It's like I like the fact that all kinds of different artistic people exist. And the idea of just some people that are like <laughs> little hit squad people. For sure. I think it's kind of badass. It's badass, dude. You know, it must be yeah, fun. Yeah, it's fun. The only thing is that sometimes it gets puppy millish. Mm, so I they're like imagine. so writing for a certain thing that you, yeah. I have to be the guy in the room that's like, hey, man, y'all know that we can like. Every song, we were talking about, somebody said I wasn't country music, which didn't bother me because they said that about Waylon and the, you know, they've, they said this about everybody who was ever big in the country. But, of course, there's certain people that are going to say that. Yeah, right. But I'm looking and I'm like, you know, no, not one deer was skinned or uh, shot or killed or fish was caught in any Merle Haggard song ever. Like, so if your barometer of country is I'm not talking about fishing, I'm, I'm going fishing with David Lucas tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Fucking, you know what I mean? It's like, what are you talking about? You know what I'm saying? I've been fishing since I was a kid. Yeah. But it's like, you know, I, I more admired the side of country that was that outlaw shit. Yeah. Like when you play that Zach Bryan song and I play mm. that Cody Johnson song, like I like a song that nobody else can sing. Let me just put mm. it that way. No, I don't care. I would love to sing that Zach Bryan song, but I could never pull it off. Mm. He can only, like, I love that. I don't think anybody could have pulled off Son of a Sinner. I don't think any artist in Nashville could have took Son of a Sinner to country radio and said, this will work. I think only Jelly Roll could have took Son of a Sinner. Only Jelly Roll could take Need a Favor. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, who else in Nashville, of all my friends, could cut Need a Favor and it would impact the way it impacts? Right. Knowing you, who you are. Exactly. Yeah, knowing it comes from you, too. This is just, it's just a different thing. It's not That's the connectability with Burt Kreischer. Right, is that you become so entranced with Bert and his family and you get sucked into this little Bert hole, right? <laughs> so it's like a fucking, I love Bert. That's my dude. And you get sucked into this Bert hole and then his jokes are triple funny because he's telling you a story of a character that you feel involved with over these specials. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like I've watched his two daughters grow up. You know what I'm saying? With yeah. these wild specials. Like, when I'm watching Razzle Dazzle, I'm like, holy shit, that's the same daughter that. Six years ago was here in her life. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, that's just cool. You know what I mean? It's like that this follow cool. along that kind of happens. And that's that connectivity of shit that's like, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I love it when an artist does this. Is how much I love art, Joe. I love when an artist does the opposite. The Weeknd is one of my favorite artists of this generation. 
Man, that dude's probably done three interviews his whole career. Didn't he just change his name back to like his actual name? Yeah, I think he said he saw. Yeah, a he said that he article. said that he's wrote all he can write as the weekend. So I don't know if he comes back as Abel. That dude did some acid. Dude, listen. He I'm telling you, he, he had a Jelly Roll acid. DMT moment. It <laughs> came <laughs> out and was like, I'm fucking Abel. He probably, <laughs> had, his, he probably had his John Lennon moment. <laughs> yeah. It said uh, The weekend starts using his birth name. Uh, I don't want to fuck this up. Yep. How do you say that? I think it's Tesfay, but I'm not sure. Tesfay? Yeah. Abel Tesfay. Yeah. This is something I have to do. Yeah, I followed okay. him from the beginning. I'm just a fan of his, but he's the polar opposite of like nobody ever knows anything about him ever. He he said that he wanted to kill the weekend. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're talking about it, so he wins. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah for sure. Yeah. That's it's ridiculous. And, and, and I love him so much as an artist. I'm anxious to see what happens next. It's yeah. like when Prince turned himself into a symbol. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like I wonder yes. what's going to come out of here now. You know what I'm yes. saying? Like this could be cool. Bro, I remember Prince. One of the first songs that uh, um, I ever heard from Prince was Head, which is the, the craziest song. I couldn't believe somebody wrote a song like this. I know I had heard uh, one other song, but Head was the first one where I was like, what is going on with this dude? <laughs> Do you remember that song? Oh, yeah. Dude, fine Head. This is what, 85, 6? Hmm. What year was this? Eighty? Nineteen eighty. God, it's so funky though. God damn, this is I wish, good. I wish I remember when we had attention spans and we would let the intro just fucking fill a vibe before the yeah. song started. Covers wearing spandex. I mean, he's in, come he's on, speedos. You're such a hunk, so full of spunk. I'll give you a head, <laughs> dude. I mean, as the kids say, bars, <laughs> bars, the bars. bars. Yeah, for sure. Facts. You're such a hunk, yeah. <laughs> so full of spunk. I'll give you a head. Yeah. My favorite thing was he did that. He did the interview with the uh, I don't know, Diane or somebody, and they said, Jesus Christ, it's crazy, right? And they asked him. They said, Why do you wear heels to make you taller? And he said, I wear heels because women like heels. <laughs> I was like, what a just fucking pimp. He came straight off the Vegas Strip. Bro, was, he was special. Nah, man, he was. Yeah, that guy was special. Yeah. He was um, very, 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 like, disassociated from everything, too. As far yeah. as, like, yo, he, like, lived in his bubble and made his music and was like, I love when people do that spacey shit, too. I think Wanna Be Your Lover was the first song I ever heard from him. I think mine was Raspberry Beret. Oh, that was good. Yep. But that was later on. Yeah. But I'm older than you. Yeah. When I was a kid, I, I, I would listen to Prince while I delivered newspapers. 
Did you ever get into Skinnerd? Oh fuck yeah! Oh dude, dude the 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 this the guitar solo I maintain to this day the guitar guitar solo in Freebird Ooh, at the end yes it might be the greatest guitar solo in the history of all music dude. it's so choreographed and it's it's like it was a different kind of a solo man it was yeah. just. That motherfucker was so good. He just made a sound. Oh my god. god. Dude. If you're driving around in a 1969 Ugh. Camaro and this is playing. Oh. And you back then you had to hear it on the radio. Oh yeah. Look at that. Here it is. Oh. Look how happy so those people are. They're losing their shit. Look how happy they are. Look, sunburn as fuck. Middle of the day. Middle Look of the day. Look how happy these people are. Look at them jump around with their arms in there. The whole crowd. Oh, yeah. Holy shit. This solo is just fantastic. And this is live. And he's going to do it for the next four minutes. <laughs> it's going to go on for an hour. I swear. They were just jamming. What a fucking song. Inconspicuous Confederate oh. flag. Yeah, yeah, very low key. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> low key. Christ. God. Just think about how much the world has changed since then. Oh, yeah. In that way. Where? You can never do that. Uh-uh. Look at the sunburn, God. Yeah, that girl's gonna have cancer when she's older for sure. <laughs> she's on fire. Look at this motherfucker uh. go. And people are still just flipping their shit. Just lost in the rock and roll, man. From Florida, bitches. Oh, yes, yeah, Jacksonville, Duval. So I got a Skinner story. I'm sure. I hope I'm allowed to talk about it. I'm sure Ross won't mind. They have. They filmed. They were filming a special for Skinner last year, uh, late last year, and they called and I got the invite to sing Tuesday's Gone with them for this special. Whoa. And I, we had heard and knew from publications that Gary Rossington was getting 
dealing with some heart stuff, you know? So there was this kind of quietly unsaid, like, this might be one of his last specials. You know, he's, he's the last standing member, right? And I go to do rehearsal with him. And, of course, Johnny's there, Johnny Van Zandt, great guy. He's been singing with him, you know, 30 years, you know, uh, however long, 30 years, forever. Uh, Peter Keys is on the keys. I know a couple of guys, and I go meet Gary. And he is the sweetest, kindest man, Joe. And he just keeps thanking me for coming to do this. I'm doing a fucking Skinner thing, a tribute. I grew up in the South, Joe. This is insane for me. You know what I'm saying? This is like where I'm from, Jesus, Skinner. You know what I'm saying? In football somewhere, they were fought for primetime television around us. And I'm going to leave from rehearsal that day. And I looked behind me because I heard some, some feet shuffling. And Gary was chasing me, Joe, to the door. To turn around and go, man, I just can't thank you enough for doing this, man. This is so awesome that you took the time out. It's just like wow. fucking legend. And I, I talked to his manager, and his manager said, is there anything you can do for us? And I was like, I kind of, frankly, I don't ever ask, but I kind of want an autograph. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I was like, but uh, he said, no, no, don't worry. He's already got something planned for y'all. So when I get to the green room the night of the tape, special taping, there's a guitar in the green room signed by the band and Gary and a poster signed by Gary for my mother. Wow. Yep. This is it. You are fucking wild, Jamie. Jamie's the best. It's scary, to be honest. This is the footage from it. And I think, and I'm not 100% sure, but I think it went on to be his last performance. Wow. And it gets, the story gets even wilder. They, <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to say this part. They say, can you come and touch up, like, just come. They want you to listen and see if you need to touch up a vocal, right? They just give you an option. They just, they just, you know what I mean? And I was like, all right, cool, because they were going to put it out. And I just had to go approve, and they want you to approve it in person. And if you need to sing, they'll allow you to sing sometimes. Some specials won't. This maybe two inside sausage. But I was going the day that Gary was going to finish putting licks on their new record or some new music they were working on. That's the day he died. I woke up that morning to the news that Gary Rossington had died, and I was fixing to see him at the studio in six, three hours. And uh, his team hit me and said, we know just with Gary's spirit and energy that what he'd want for you to do today is go down there if you have time. And I still went, and I approved the vocal. I didn't have to make no changes or touch-ups. He just wanted to make sure I was cool with some stuff and approve, you know, just approval shit, just respectful. And uh, it was crazy, man, because Gary Rosington's guitar tech walks in, Joe. And he looks over at the engineer, the producer, who's been working with Gary for 30 years or whatever, 40 years, however long he's been doing it. These guys, tight crew. Guitar tech looks and goes, I was tuning, I was stringing his guitar when I got the call for today's session. I was like, look, it might be a bad time to say this, but how poetic. Could you imagine being that dude talking about the greatest guitar solos ever written, guitar tech, and you find out he passed away while you're holding his baby? Mm. You know what I'm saying? You know, just unreal. Like, what a way to go. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, like synchronicity. Yeah, dude. I mean, he survived plane crashes. You know what I'm saying? They went through <laughs> right. some shit, dude. Skinner right. went through some shit, dude. Right. Yeah, they were fucking, you know, it's wild, man. So. That's dope. And I hope, hopefully that special comes out this year because that was a, just a night I'll never forget. And it just, he was so sweet. And there, I hope it shows this on stage. I walked over to him at the end of Tuesday's Gone, Joe, when he's doing his solo. 
And as soon as he finishes, I just grab him by his shoulders and I kiss him on the forehead and I just hug him. And I just whisper, man, you have, you, you impacted me in such a way. You will never know how much you've changed how I feel about music, you know. And I know that in my spirit that the last time I seen Gary Rosington, I gave that man his fucking flowers. Oh, that's, you know what I'm saying? Nice. I get teary-eyed again, dude, just that's talking beautiful. about it. Just that I just, because I felt like I felt it. You know what I mean? So I got yeah. a show with Willie Nelson at the end of this month. Wow. Crazy, right? I'm doing a show with Willie <sighs> Nelson. Yeah, and we're launching our weed brand the same day. Oh, my God, that's hilarious. <laughs> in Michigan. Bro, you're doing a show with Willie. Yep. I think he's only doing like 25 this year or something. You almost had to win the lottery to get one. It's Where a big are you deal. doing it? Where's it going to be? Uh, the Soaring Eagle in Michigan. Wow. It's in northern Michigan. It's a casino outside gig right here right here at the NMA. Wow. Yeah, you got to see Willie before he goes, folks. Yeah, God, you got to go see Willie, man. Yeah. yeah I just want I want to see Trigger as much as I want to see Willie. That's what he calls his guitar, is Trigger. Oh. <laughs> He's had the same guitar all these years. Really? Yeah, and it's got a uh, uh, pull up Trigger if you don't mind, Jamie. You got to see this, Joe. You'll love this shit. It's the wildest shit. It's uh, where he how, how he picks. It's got an indent where his fingers go inside the wood. And oh, when wow. they fix it, they fix it around it. Right there is where he sets his hand. What? Yep. Wow. Yep, it's called Trigger. The joke he's made is he'll quit touring when they can't fix Trigger. Wow, look at that. It's worn into his hand. Yeah, worn into his hand, right there. Because <laughs> that's how, when he'll pick that way. It's crazy, man. Wow. Yeah, I was excited to see the guitars. I own him. I got to see him once. I haven't met him, though, so this will be big. Yep, it's us. My buddy Ernest. Yeah. Talking about Ernest. Ernest on that list is a Nashville boy, is a good friend of mine. He he wrote Son of a Sinner with me, and uh, Ernest has had I think eight or nine number ones. He's wrote for other people. Just big hit songwriter, Nashville boy. Imagine yourself at that low moment when they tell you you just had a kid. Mm. Imagine now you're oh. on stage with Willie Nelson. Like what a crazy dream. <laughs> What a crazy simulation <laughs> you're in. If the simulation's real, <laughs> brother. Yeah, and I defied all, like, you'll see it in the doc, but it's like, you know, I had everything not going for me, even in the music side of things. Like, I had to learn how to sing. I wasn't like, I don't come from a family. I'm the only songwriter of my family, mm. right? Does that make sense? Like, yes. there's no there's no historic music. My mother just loved music. Right. You know, it's like, we didn't come, so I had to learn all this. You know, I had to... Because nobody would sign me at first, I had to learn the business. You know, I'm a kid that never, I got my GED when I was 24. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't never, before I got my GED, if you asked what my last grade completed was, I would have had to technically write down eighth. You know what I'm saying? I think it's the last one I passed. And you just, I just had to figure all this. You know, my daddy, I almost quit one time, Joe. My daddy looked me in the eye and he said, why would you quit, son? He said, if you worked this hard to be a doctor, you'd be going to get your doctorate degree right now. You're two years away from being a fucking brain surgeon. He was like, you just had to go to a different college. And, man, that stuck all over me, Joe. Mm. Of, of all the advice and one-liners, my dad was like one of them old gangsters that just had them quick one-liners, you know? And of all the stuff that he, that, that just stuck with me because it was like, you can't run the time. The fact that I didn't find success till I was 38 is just like, you know, it just is what it is. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know. Yeah, but it's, this is what always begs the question. I would not want you to go through any of the things you went through. Mm. But because of the things you went through, 
this is what we get. Right. And it's an, an amazing thing. Yeah. It's amazing when out of some horrible, chaotic situation, something beautiful emerges. Mm. And I don't know why we need that. Yeah. <laughs> like, what is it about people? What, do we need to fuck people up so they make amazing art? Yeah. Is yeah. that is that just a, a little suffer? Is that? <laughs> I mean, is there other ways? Can you do it through sports? I mean, yeah. is, there yeah, fucking, sure. is there holding your breath? Is yeah. there some other fucking way <laughs> other than uh, torturing your kid's childhood to turn them into right. something talented? Mm. Because I don't know if it is, man. All of my friends that I love the most had the most fucked up childhoods, right? You know, and they're mm. the most fun to be around, the most silly. You know, and the most appreciative, and and you know, it's like the, we're there's a sense of community amongst people that grew up in fucked up sort of environments but i don't want anybody to ever grow up like that right. i want people to grow up loved right. and challenged by things i want things to be interesting to you i want you to go after them not because you're desperate but because you're fascinated right. i don't think it's the mutually exclusive i don't think you have to be fucked up to be <laughs> right. great at something yeah. i just think oftentimes that's the case yeah. and so i think one of the things like that young man, what was his name that sang that song on uh, American Idol? Ian uh, Tongi. God yeah. damn. Man. Whatever that dude went through. Yeah, he lost his father. Oh, man. my God. He tells the story right before he sings the Ugh. song, but it's just so, man. <sighs> I know, right? Just everything about it. That song is so good, it, right? It's so good because that guy went through that shit to make that thing that we all can watch. Yeah, no, and, and just sings it just in the most painful. Ugh. And it's just like I told you, like nothing about, I think he had the jelly roll factor of nothing about how he looked made me think he was going to sound like that. Right. You, you know, had no idea what was coming. No, and then you just hear, and then you start listening to the lyrics, and you're like, oh no, oh I'm fixing to cry. Yeah. So good. No. Ian Tongi, man, I'll tell him you're a fan. I'm going to see him this weekend, dude. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, I've already sent him a message a couple times on Instagram because I'm a nerd, but I'm like, dude, I'm a fan. Like, I'm coming to hug you. That's dude, beautiful. Dog. Like, me and you I'm are going to cry too. together. I'm going to meet you too. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, brother, this has been a, a fun, fucking, enjoyable, interesting time, and uh, I appreciate hey, you man. very much, man. No, dude, uh, you have you, a brother. You have a great story. Uh, you just giving me the platform to share it means yeah, a lot. the story is great, man. It's, oh, fuck, it's such a good story. It's so important. It really is American as fuck. Yeah. What you're doing right now is American as fuck. Thank you, brother. You can figure it out. I just, I'll, I'll end it like this. Well, two things, if you don't mind, Joe, just give me some house cleaning before we go. Um, just, I'd be remiss, because God, you know how big this is for me. Jellyroll615.com. I am going on my first arena amphitheater tour later this year. There are still tickets available in select Woo! markets. I feel like the comedian now at the end of the podcast. Where are you no, going to be at bro, next week? They you know? want to, they please, want to hear it. Please, jellyroll615.com. I'm, I'm, you can find me on socials. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty easy to get to there. Um, and I will say this, that music finds a way. And I thank God that music found its way to you, and I found my way to this room to have this platform with your people, brother. Well, thank you, brother. And thank you for this, and I, and, I, and, uh, and I look forward to hanging with you tonight. Fuck yeah. I'm coming, Papa. Fuck yeah. <laughs> All right. You, Bye, everybody. Thank, thank you, thank Jamie. You everyone. Thank y'all. Thank you, everybody. Woo! Bye. Let's go, baby. Fucking Joe, I love you.